Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. The WOR Sports Zone. The, the Mets sign Bartolo, because really that's all that's left to decide in this season. Whether they're going to have the entertainment value of Bartolo Colon uh, out at City Field or not, because clearly the season is over. The Mets, as we when we last left, you had a chance. They kept hope alive and, you know, swept the Giants and took two of three from the Marlins and won the first two against the Phillies. So it was looking pretty good and maybe some uh, excitement heading into 4th of July weekend. And then, of course, as a uh, typical fashion this year with this club, they can't finish off the Phillies on Sunday and the Nats uh, ripped their hearts out on the Monday night before 4th of July after Curtis Granderson, who deserves a ton of credit. Now, I know Granderson has been a whipping boy of mine, and I think rightfully so. I mean, the guy should be able to do what he does now for six straight months. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that difficult an ask. Or am I being too harsh by asking Granderson to be consistent from start to finish? Because if he was that type of player, I mean, things would be different. But instead, he plays four months of the year, and that's why he uh, you know draws the ire sometimes. But... Anyway, hit a huge home run, probably the biggest, uh, almost clutch home run that he's hit, at least that I can remember, late like that, down to your final strike on the road against the Nats. They needed to win the game, clearly, and he ties the game up. But then, uh, of course, the bullpen blows it. The following inning, Mets lose that, and then the Nats just go out there and bury him. The rain is the only thing that could save the Mets from full embarrassment. So we know the playoffs are, I think we could all admit, as the Mets would admit as well, they, that's out of reach, that's over. So now it becomes about evaluating you know, Rosario, when he comes up here, evaluating Michael Conforto when he gets healthy enough to return to the major league lineup. I know he's in the lineup tonight for Port St. Lucie. Um, so, you know, you hope to get him healthy and maybe have him back uh, this final weekend before uh, they head to the All-Star break and then maybe see Conforto even getting a bat in the All-Star game. About seeing if Steven Matz can stay healthy. I would still go out and sign Bartolo Colon. Why not? I mean, you're going to need arms anyway. It'd be at least fun to have him on the team, change the narrative a little bit, loosen things up, bring Bartolo's personality back, and maybe have some fun again and try to have these guys having some fun uh, once again this season. It's been, a, it's been a rough go. It's just hard to imagine, as we sit here on July 6th, that the season is essentially over. And I get bad seasons, bad seasons happen. It's not the end of the world. They'll be okay next year. They have to rebuild. Um, but hard to believe that it's over already. And you look around Major League Baseball, so many teams still alive. I mean, even they're bad teams. You look at the American League, almost everybody's still alive in the playoff race. And the National League, there aren't many good teams, but uh, a bunch of them are still in it. For the Mets, that's just not the case, the way things broke this year. But not only about evaluating the guys, as I mentioned, it's also about, okay, well, now who are you going to trade? Who's going to be up uh, on the trading block, and what are you going to be able to get back for them and reload kind of like the Yankees did a year ago? There's no shame in that. Sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. And I get that the Mets' goal was to go win a World Series this year. Okay, it didn't happen. Not going to happen. You could uh, name the reasons. And by the way, I'm sick of hearing about the injuries being an excuse. I know that that's a factor. It's not the lone reason. The Mets' worst month this year. Uh, Off the top of your head, Mark, what do you think the Mets, what would you say the Mets' healthiest month this year was? Healthiest month this year for the Mets. I don't think they've had one. Give me the healthiest one. There is a healthiest one. This month. You think this month is the healthiest? 
Without Syndergaard, without Familia, I mean, Conforto banged up. They have DeGrom back, Mats, Lugo, the Wheeler. Hel- the healthiest month of the season, Mark, this shouldn't be too difficult. It was April. Well, it was, was April. It was April was the healthiest oh, month. I, I, I was trying to make the point that they're finally healthy again. Well, but they're, For the most part. But they're still missing their best players. So, anyway, I'll, I'll answer it for Mark. Uh, look, we're warming up here, too. Uh the healthiest month of the year for the Mets was April, and that was their worst month of the year. And they never recovered from, and, and again, Mark's right, too. Like they're getting more guys back now. I get that, but they're still without their big pieces. Syndergaard didn't go down until the end of April. You know, Harvey was still there. Familia was still there. Although he missed the first two weeks, uh, I get that, but that wasn't the problem for the Mets. It was after that, when they came back home to play the Phillies after losing those final three of four to the Marlins. They never got off the mat. So health, the point is, health is a factor, certainly, but it's not the, the lone reason. Defense has been atrocious. The pitching has been abysmal. I mean, the walks, you can't watch. It's terrible. The defense, as we said, the, the range, or lack thereof, the ability to throw the ball across the diamond, the ability to put the glove on the baseball, something you'd think was uh, relatively easy. The Mets have had difficulty doing that this year. So it's all of the above. Just a bad year. But, again, it happens, and maybe a blessing in disguise that now they could, okay, let's see if we could restock the farm a little bit, reload, decide what we have and what we want moving forward. And, and look, in a case where, all right, Granderson, you know he's not going to be a part of the team next year, right? So you trade him off if you could get anything of value for him. And thank goodness he's starting to take off at the right time where he's going to increase whatever value he has. Even Jay Bruce. And I love Jay Bruce, and I think Jay Bruce deserved to go to the All-Star game more than Michael Conforto did, as much as I love Conforto and think that he's the best hitter on the team and going to be the star of this franchise moving forward. I don't think he deserved to go to the All-Star game this year. I think Jay Bruce, Jacob deGrom, more so than Conforto, but who knows when the votes exactly were put in. I don't necessarily care about that. Um, but that's maybe why he went as opposed to deGrom or Bruce. But you, you could trade Bruce to get something back. I'm fine with that. And then if you want to, go re-sign him in the offseason. Why not? Same thing with Addison Reed. You want to re-sign Addison Reed after you trade him? I don't have any issue with that. Trade him. Get something for him. Maximize your value now. And what is a lost year? There's no point to keeping these guys along. Now, I would keep his Drupal Cabrera because I like him. I think he's part of the future of this team. I'd pick up that option, which I think is a good deal. I'd have him play, you know, what really what they should have done with Murphy a few years ago. I'd have his Drupal Cabrera do that next year. Play third base, obviously, because David Wright's not going to be there. Play some second base depending on how they want to go about that. You want to back up at shortstop in an emergency. I don't have a problem with that. But I like his leadership, although he hit a little bump in the road. We know uh, what went on with him uh, about requesting to be uh, traded. You know, that, that was just he just got angry. It happens. You get mad. You say stupid things you don't mean. I don't think his dribble ever meant that he wants to leave. I think he wants to be here. I think he can be a nice piece next year. I think the Mets bench is shaping up pretty decent next year. You like what you've seen from Brandon Nimmo? I don't think he's a starter, but I like him coming off the bench maybe next year. Um, I can live with Flores off the bench. I just can't live with him playing defense at all. I mean, maybe at first base against the lefty, and that's about it. Other than that, I don't want to see him out there unless it's an emergency. But that's basically what the season has come down to. Sad, but it's essentially what, what we are looking at here on July 6th for this New York Mets team. Mark? Mike Puma is reporting the Mets have spoken to Bartolo's agent, Okay, but don't expect to have an answer until tomorrow. All right. Well, that's fair. I know there's going to be other interests, too. And if you're Bartolo, it'll be curious. Uh, well, I'll be curious to find out if he really wants to come back to New York. We know he had fun. Loved it here. Uh, the relationship with the fans was as great a relationship as I could remember, especially for a guy who wasn't a star player. But does he want to come back to New York or 
because he want to go play for a contender. He's got his money, so that doesn't matter. Now he wants a chance to go get some wins. He wants an opportunity, no question about it. Now, uh, I mean, uh, you could maybe uh, there are other teams that are going to want him in their clubhouse. Maybe use him out of the bullpen. Maybe use him as just a rubber arm. Um, you know, just his presence alone, I think, would help some teams. I'll be curious to see what the interest is for Bartolo and where he ultimately ends up deciding uh, deciding to sign. But I do think that would add at least some interest. Uh, with the Mets. What contender would want Bartolo with an 8 ERA at it's, 44 years old? It's not about the ERA. It's about having... Did you just listen to what I said? Yes. What, well, what do you think Bartolo Colon value well, he's gonna is? he's going to eat up innings, but a contender wants well, wins. Well, what about the other, the other thing is his presence in the clubhouse. Veteran leader. He helps the other guys out. He was invaluable for what he did with I the I agree Mets. that that's invaluable, but as a contender, say the Yankees, they need another arm in the bullpen. Do they need somebody else blowing games in the bullpen? Yeah, but I, I mean, maybe you take why, why the Nets, why the Mets sign Neil Ramirez. Nobody has any idea. Well, but they needed an arm, right? If you could sign Neil Ramirez, True. you could take a chance on Bartolo Colon, a veteran. Also, not to mention that that ballpark in Atlanta is a complete bandbox, and everybody's hitting home runs there. So I'm not saying that Bartolo was great by any means, but I know he was very good here with the Mets just a year ago. And you figured he'd fall off the cliff at some point. You thought it would have happened prior. Uh, to go into Atlanta, but there are a lot of factors in. Maybe he wasn't happy in Atlanta. Maybe it was the ballpark. Maybe a combination of both. Maybe he just wasn't effective. But I think somebody will take a chance on him. Now, I don't know exactly who those other teams are, but the latest reports I read were that multiple teams were, uh, were showing interest in him. It wasn't just the Mets. It's not like he, he's going to get a major league job. So I think he'll have a couple of opportunities, a couple of choices at least. And even for a team like the Brewers. You know what? Brewers spanked the Cubs today. Uh, and what I guess is a makeup game here, just looking at the uh, at the calendar. Um, but they spanked the Cubs today. Brewers have a nice little lead in that NL Central. They've got a couple of arms banged up on the DL. There are teams that could use a guy to, you know, look. I mean, the Mets are going with Tommy Malone, right? I mean, how many times you got to see Rafael Montero? I know it's a little different when you go with Montero as opposed to Tommy Malone. But point is, if you're having guys like that, and it's not just the Mets, look around Major League Baseball with some of these guys. If they're taking Major League starts. Bartolo Colon. Even with that 8 ERA, that puffy ERA to go along with that puffy body of his, somebody will pick him up. But that's about it for the Mets. we got the Yankees, uh, of course, on our mind as well as they have been. They've been bad. I mean, there's no other way to put it. For about a three-week stretch or so, really since that West Coast trip, Yanks have struggled, so maybe we'll get more into that in more detail. We'll talk about the Knicks, talk about the All-Star game too. I'm assuming, Mark, that we have the final votes. We'll give that when we come back. I, I want to get into the... Uh, the the whole all-star on the final voting. Thank goodness it's over. I thought it was supposed to be revealed at 6 o'clock. I haven't checked, though, because I've been talking to you here. Uh, so we'll get more into that uh, as well. The all-star game, Home Run Derby, will be with you for a full week of shows. Uh, a week, uh, or next week, I should say. Not a full week, Monday through Thursday, while the Mets are uh, on their break. We'll be here doing shows. Just getting started here on the Sports Zone. It's Lakata in for Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. If- you're in the WOR Sports Zone. In for Pete, here's Sal Licata. 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Fitting that the All-Star representatives, uh, well, the final vote, I should say, one in the American League, Mike Moustakis, no surprise there. As he goes for the Royals, he's had a great year. How about the Royals have turned things around? That's championship pedigree. You know, that's what's so frustrating about the Mets with the lack of consistency. You see the Royals, I mean, and everybody keeps picking against them every year, thinking they're going to fall off, and here they are again. They lose players, and it doesn't matter. 
They're right there making another run of things in the AL Central. But anyway, Mike Moustakis gets voted in on the final vote for the American League. And, of course, fittingly for the National League, Justin Turner goes for the Dodgers. Well-deserved, by the way. He shouldn't even even been on that final ballot. He should have been in the All-Star game to begin with. But you look at uh, who's starting at second base for the National League, Daniel Murphy. And now the final vote, Justin Turner. And even more salt in the wound for the Mets. And I think... You know, again, you could uh, critique and get on them and second-guess certain things. Maybe Justin Turner was one of them, um, but I would more say Daniel Murphy, the other one. The, the problem with Daniel Murphy is, and you're talking to a guy who wanted him out of here for a, a number of years, but once you saw what he did in the postseason in 2015, hard to justify letting him go off of that. After all the years they put up with Murph's ineptitude and below-average play, he goes on a tear in the postseason in 2015. And then they let him walk. And I know they gave him the qualifying offer, but and now look at who's done. He's an all-star second baseman, one of the best hitters in the league. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to, to watch that. And he does it with the Nationals nonetheless. And he just absolutely destroys the Mets every single chance uh, that he can get. So, I mean, that's a little more frustrating as well. We'll get into the Yankees in a bit. Uh, let's go to the phones right now. James is in Morristown. James, you're on The Voice of New York, 710 WO. What's up, James? Yeah, hey Sal, how you doing, buddy? I'm all right. I, I guess I my question for you is I can't understand uh, why we haven't seen Rosario yet with Reyes playing so bad. Do you have any idea how's Rosario doing right now? Do you know? Yeah, he's doing well, but Alderson says he's not ready. He doesn't think that he's ready. Yeah. How could he not? I mean, what we got, I could see if we had someone playing the position at a high level, you know. Well, it shouldn't matter who's playing the position at the major league level. I think that that's the point Alderson's trying to make. What should matter is the development of the young player, a guy who's going to be you know, the future of the team, essentially. He is going to be the starting shortstop every day next year. You better hope he is. So rather than ruin any of that, potentially, it's less about, oh, well, our shortstop now, Reyes, can't feel. He's hitting under 200. We need somebody. Let's go with the kid. That's not the case. I think it's a, it's a scenario where they won't bring him up until they're absolutely sure he is ready. Now, even in, in that scenario, James, he still may not be, but I think the Mets are just being ultra patient, as they should be with Rosario. Yeah, because my, my, my contention is, you remember what, how great Dilson Herrera was supposed to be? And he's turned out to be a bust. I mean, there's no way to predict, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. But what's your what's your point then? What do you mean there's no way you just... Well, I mean, waiting and you don't know. I think he could, I think he could contribute right now and he'd be fun to watch and... If he may, if he get, if he has trouble, send him back down for more seasoning. That's my problem. Yeah, I know. But when you start toying around with guys, moving them back and forth and up and down, I think that could become a little bit of an issue, at least for me. And I don't see the necessity to bring Ahmed Rosario up here as much as everybody else. I know it was a, you know everybody months ago. Oh, bring up Rosario! Bring up Rosario! I was not of that belief. I don't have any problem with it. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Here's the bottom line with this season, and you could go back to February and say the same statement. If you had to bring a Med Rosario up early in the season, the season's over. Forget it. They're not going to the World Series. I mean, that's not how this team was built. They're not built on relying on a Med Rosario to come up this year and contribute to the ball club. 
So when the Mets were going down and everybody's, oh, oh, we need Rosario, as if he's some kind of savior, I, I'm with Alderson on that. I don't see the point in doing something like that. doesn't make any sense to me. They're going to sink or swim without him this year. Now, you will get to see him at some point this year because the season is over, so you'll see him, what he could do at the major league level, maybe in a month, maybe in a couple of months. I don't know exactly when that will be, but I'd be shocked if he weren't up here at some point over the course of the next month and a half. Two, I mean, by August, he's got to be up here, right? Play out August, August and September. But the idea to bring him up early to see what he could do, like he could help the team, that's just foolish. I don't think this is a Michael Conforto scenario. It wasn't like the Mets needed one thing. The Mets were a mess. I mean, remember, when Rosario, when everybody first started clamoring for Rosario to come up, it was the pitching that was destroying the team, not just the defense. It was the pitching that was killing them. If they had all the other pieces in place and everything else was, you know, churning pretty good, then I could see if you wanted to just slide him in, add him to this team, let him go play some defense at short and bat him eighth in the order. That was not going to be the case the way things were going. They needed pitching, they needed defense, they needed offense, they needed everything. I don't think it's fair to put that pressure on him. And it would have been pressure. People could say, oh, no, we know what to expect. That's nonsense. It would have been pressure. In this city, with a team with World Series expectations, with the team struggling as badly as they were, there's no way that's a good predicament for Ahmed Rosario to be in. Now, you'd hope that he you know, has the intestinal fortitude to be able to handle any scenario thrown at him. We'll find that out. But I still think it would have been a little premature for the Mets to go with Rosario. He will be exciting to see. We don't know if he's going to be any good, but he's certainly going to be exciting to see. He's going to give you something to watch the remainder of the year. Because you want to know what you have moving forward next year. And even then, you know, what's what's another two months going to say? Yeah, look around Major League Baseball, the inconsistency. What's a year going to tell you? Look at Conforto. And Conforto rakes in the postseason, rakes basically since he came up here in 2015. Starts the year out as well as you could start out in 2016. Has a great month, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, Conforto, Cespedes, 3-4 in this order, they are going to be lethal. And then he falls off completely, up and down between the majors and minor leagues. Struggles really all year, whether you want to blame him, whether you want to blame the usage of him. This year comes up, or starts the, starts the season, you know, was going to start the season in the minor leagues. They bring him up due to the injury. Right, You have to have Conforto on the team now because of injury. He's going to start off the bench. Goes out there and completely rakes every chance he gets. Forces his way into the lineup. And odd how the Mets never had to make a decision there. All that talk preseason about, how, oh, what are they going to do with all these outfielders? How they going to, it plays itself out. Everybody's hurt. One guy fills in. The next guy gets hurt. The next guy fills in. Uh, one thing after another. But he forced himself in the lineup. Became their best hitter. So much so that he's now an all-star. But even after his first two-plus months red hot... He's cooled off a little bit, and you know, people starting to question, where is he going to be exactly? Is he going to be 280? Is he going to be 330? Which one is he? Is he going to be in between? Need some consistency from him. And this is now year, you know, well, two and a half, I guess. Or really, I mean, you know, the end of 15 and now the beginning of 17, essentially. And 2016 was a jumbled mess for him. So you don't know what you're going to see from, or what you're going to get from Rosario, but you'd like to think that moving forward, one thing you could pencil in for next year's ball club aside from the starting rotation, would be a Med Rosario at shortstop. And I'd like to see him too. I'm curious. I'm curious to see what he can do at the Major League level. But the idea to rush him up here a month ago to save the season as if you think it would have made a difference is just foolish. And it's following what everybody else says. 
One guy says, oh, let's see Rosario. And everybody goes, yeah, you know what? Yeah, let's see Rosario. And then it's talked about on sports radio. Then it's written about in the papers. And then the fans call, oh, let's see Rosario. Let's see Rosario. But then if you step back and actually think about it, it doesn't make much sense. It's foolish. Why? Just because you want to see him? Just because somebody wrote that they want to see him up here at the major league level makes it the right move? You really think he's a better player than his Drupal Cabrera? One leg or not for Cabrera? Banged up or not? Range or not? It's bad defensively as Cabrera's been. There's no way you could tell me right now Rosario is going to be a better player than Drupal Cabrera. You may have the curiosity to find out, but you have to go with the known quantity on a team that's supposed to be going to the World Series. Not to mention the trickle-down effect that it would have with the rest of the team. So I just thought that that was a foolish thing. I want to get into, as I keep mentioning, the Yankees, but I also want to get into whether you should trade uh, any you know, integral pieces to interdivision rivals, specifically Addison Reed to the Washington Nationals. We'll do that next. 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. The number to call. Salicata on the Sports Zone. Take it on 9 o'clock on the Voice of New York, 710 WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. Why would anybody care? Whether it be the Mets organization, the Mets fans, well, more so the Mets fans. Why do you care if the Mets would trade Addison Reed to the Nationals? <laughs> What's the difference? He's a free agent after the year, right? I mean, unless I'm getting that wrong, I believe that that was going to be the case. Why would you then care if you trade Reed to the Nationals? Well, you think he's going to like it so much there you're not going to be able to pay him? If you want, just give him you know, enough money next year when he's a free agent and bring him back. Rip the Nats off whatever you could get. Here's the motto maximize your value right now. Maximize your return on whatever you can give. Bruce, Granderson, Reed, I don't care if the Nationals want all of them. Go in a World Series. Good luck. I would not care. I mean, Daniel Murphy signing with the Nats is, uh, it doesn't get much worse than that. I would not care if the Nats go won a World Series with the Addison Reed helping them close out ball games. if you got a nice package back, if they offered the best package, I'm not looking to do them any favors but certainly, if he is, if the Nats are offering you uh, the best package out of every team that's out there, you're going to turn that down just to make sure he doesn't go there for a couple of months? Then what? Then they're going to sign him in the offseason anyway, and you've got to look at him for five years? What's the difference? Yeah, who trade him there? Who cares? 800-321-0710, 800-321-0710. Saw a lot of comments on that. We did a segment on that yesterday on uh, SNY's Loudmouths, and the reaction on Twitter from people uh, one way or another. I mean, they were they kind of probably split, but still, people, uh, I can't even imagine the people saying, don't, no, don't do it. Uh, why would you ever trade uh, Reed? I wouldn't give the Nats anything. What? Who cares? You trade him to whoever's offering you the most in return. That's the way that I would play it. And if it happens to be the Nationals, so be it. Same thing with the Yankees. Give him Reed, give him Duda. Ah, uh, they want somebody else. I don't. That's fine with me too. Whoever, ha- wh- what kind of business would you be doing if you eliminated certain teams from you know inquiring about a package? I would not do that. I don't think that that makes very much sense, especially in this case. Like I said, if it were somebody that's you know. Steven Matz or Jacob deGrom, somebody like that. No, you're not doing it in your division where you know they're going to sign there long-term. With Addison Reed, you don't know where he's going to be. Just like the Yankees did last year with Andrew Miller. Or Aldous Chapman, for that matter. 
Now, I know the Cubs aren't in the same division. Well, neither are the Indians, for that matter. But the Indians are in the American League. The Yankees didn't seem to care. And, and by the way, Miller was signed for multiple years. And they still gave him up to an American League opponent. Who are they going to be battling with for a playoff spot, potentially? Whatever is the best package back. That's what you are trading Addison Reed for, Curtis, and Granders, uh, Curtis Granderson for, Lucas Duda, if anybody wants him. Man, I would love to see this team reshaped. And like I said, I don't really care where anybody else goes. Doesn't make a difference to me. Brad is on the car phone. Brad, you're on The Voice of New York, 710 W. What's up, Brad? Hey, how are you? Oh, not bad. Dice get put through? What's up, Brad? You're on the air. Oh, sorry. All right. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was just thinking, I think, well, I think you can make a point that, you know, had had Alderson never showed up and that the guys that Manaya had to begin with, you would be you'd be in better shape. I know everyone loves the Syndergaard trade. That's the one good move that this guy made. But besides that, well, he's made other good moves. I mean, and by the way, that trade wasn't all it's cracked up to be either. Yeah, they got Syndergaard, but Darno was the focal point. He's been an absolute bust. Exactly, exactly. But besides that, I mean, Addison Reed was a decent move, but you know, the Angel Pagan trade was terrible. Reed was think- Reed was better than uh, Reed was better than decent. Reed was an excellent move. I mean, that was an excellent move by Sandy Alderson picking up Addison Reed essentially for nothing. And he's been last year. You couldn't be uh, better at your job than Addison Reed was. Fair enough, but then you know it's just it's inexcusable that what they did with with Turner and Murphy, two guys who you know were Manaya guys, right? And if you look back at why they lost them, they lost Turner because he was up for arbitration, he was due to make one and a half million dollars, and they're like, why should we pay him that when we have, you know, it was it was it Baxter, not Baxter, uh, whoever they, you know, anyone that they're like we could just fill that within for pay some guy a league minimum. and But Turner at the time was, you know, he's very serviceable, played every position, got a ton of clutch hits when he was with the Mets, right? You know, I actually, then, I brought up with you, I actually like Justin Turner. Now, I remember at the time, if you remember, they were, Turner and Murphy were battling for playing time because this were the days when David Wright was healthy for the most part. So you had Turner and uh, and Murphy playing for, uh, battling for second base. And I always was on the side, I'd rather go with Justin Turner because Turner did give you quality at bats in the clutch. He was a decent hitter. Now, I, I would not have predicted he'd be hitting 340 and be an all-star. But I liked Turner at the time. I wanted to give him more of a chance, and they didn't do that. Uh, they made him, you know, continue to make him a role player, and, and then Murphy developed into, you know, one of the league's best hitters, and then they let him go r- right as he was developing into that. Right, and, and you know, you, if Murphy was going to get the contract, which I think they originally envisioned that he was going to get, and that's why they had Gary Congo on the radio, called him a net negative and all that, because they probably thought he was going to be, you know, getting something in the $15 million per year range. But as soon as, you know, they, they obviously misread his market. I think everybody, missed, you know, misread the market. Then, you know, when they saw that his, his value dropped so much, to let him go for, you know, less than what they're paying for Neil Walker now, I think it's criminal. You know, they could have had him around as, as either a you know, you know, utility player or even get rid of Lucas Duda at the time. Duda's a, you know, a, a streaky player. Be creative. Get rid of Duda. Where you know that you have David Wright to go into the season where you have playoff aspirations and you have a third baseman with spinal, spinal stenosis and you're relying on that. I mean, come on. Like, it, it was, like, it was a huge mistake. It was a huge mistake, and not just in hindsight. It was a huge mistake. We, I remember discussing at the time. Thanks for the call, Brad. Appreciate it. And again, I am somebody who was a... I, couldn't stand Daniel Murphy as a baseball player. Couldn't stand him. The only thing he did 
was hit without power. And, he, and, and even that, it wasn't like he was hitting 330. He gave you quality at bats. He hit to all fields. Okay, he hit a bunch of doubles. But if you needed one at bat, you knew Murphy was the guy to get you a base hit. But that was it. He was a good hitter with no power, certainly no speed, no baseball IQ whatsoever, and he was a horrific fielder. So I do agree that with Gary Cohen and that comment at the time, a net negative. But that was up until the 2015 postseason. And then when you saw what he did against the best pitching in the sport, and I mean, it, it wasn't just, oh, you know what, maybe that was a fluke. I mean, Murphy was as hot as you can be against the best pitching the sport has to offer. He murdered them all. Lefty, righty, didn't matter. Granke, Kershaw, Arietta, Murph owned them all. After I saw that, I started to think, and again, you're talking to somebody, just to put it in perspective, you're talking to somebody who was anti-Murphy for years. I mean, dating back to before I was even on the air. I remember telling Francesa in his ear when I was producing over there, that, you know, during certain segments or whatever, how, why, why does everybody love Murphy? He stinks. He doesn't do anything well. He's just, all he does is hit. He doesn't do anything else. He hits for average, barely. So we're talking years. I was anti-Murphy. But after I saw the 2015 postseason, I started to change my tune a little bit. And I think the Mets did, but not enough to go all in. They went more on the the body of work. They didn't believe that Murphy was going to morph into what he was or what he did in the 2015 postseason. And that was a huge mistake, especially when you think about it. When you needed, as you said, Brad, the insurance at third base for David Wright with the spinal stenosis, you could have put him at first base instead of Lucas Duda, and you certainly could have used him at second base. The Mets' big plan that year wasn't even Cespedes. It was Zobust. By the way, how's Zobust doing this year? Let's look up his numbers. You know what? I'm going to look up Zobust's numbers, and then we'll come back and uh, take a little break. But you remember that uh, that Zobust was the main target that year for the Mets. Now, of course, he goes on to the Cubs and World Series MVP, and we know how that worked out for him, um, uh, you know, unfortunately. But, but it was going to be a four-year deal they would have had to give him. They would have given Ben Zobust a four-year deal. He's hitting 214. What's he hitting this year, Mark? You want to say that on the air for everybody here? 214. Oh, 214. So Ben Zobust, the guy that people were ripping me on Twitter and calling up here saying, oh, you, you ripped Zobust. Why do you keep calling him Zobust? Well, look at the World Series MVP. He was great last year on an excellent – on the World Series champion. I mean, the Cubs were the best team in baseball by far. And he was an integral part of that. I get it. He would not have been the same player on the Mets team as the guy that they were bringing him here to be. And you would have hated Zobust this year, next year, and the following year. Because it was obvious you couldn't sign him to a four-year deal. Now, if the Mets won the World Series last year, fine. Then you, you could have lived with it, like the Cubs. But that wasn't going to be the case. And remember, they signed Zobust. There wouldn't have been Neil Walker, certainly. And there probably wouldn't have been Yohannes Cespedes. They would have had no Murphy. No Neil Walker. And very unlikely, Yohannes Cespedes. Hence the term Zobust. 214, he's hitting. Is he hurt this year? Uh, no, he just played the other day, 0 for 3. That 214 for Zobust. Mm. 
Yeah, that would have been a good deal. Oh, yeah, I would have wanted Zobust. Four years. Yeah, bring Zobust in. World Series MVP with the Cubs. What was I thinking? Man. 800 The Voice of New York, Lakata, and for McCarthy on the Sports Zone, 710 WOR. Now, more of the WOR Sports Zone. And for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Lakata. Zobus! Anyway, I mean, who cares about him? But it just shows you the only thing that could have made this Mets season worse was if you had that, uh, if you had three more years of Zobus left. Uh, when the, you're putting the guy on the team to try to go uh, compete for a world championship. And again, who knows who would have been here or not uh, if they, in fact, did sign him. But 214 average, good for Benny. Good for the World Series MVP. I'll tell you, I was sitting there angry last year watching him, and I, you knew it was coming with all the big hits that he got. But I figured, typical, of course, the one guy in the world where I wouldn't want to win the MVP of the World Series wins it. Uh, but again, that was year one on a different team and a completely different circumstance. Year two, not so much uh, better for, for Benny. For Benny Zobust. 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. Ray is in Waterbury. Ray, you're on the Voice of New York, 710-WOR. What's up, Ray? Hi, Sal. How you're are you? right on with Ben Zobust. I remember last year you didn't want him. You wanted Tolo Whiskey, but I remember you didn't want him. You called him Ben, uh, ben Zobust 10. Imagine <laughs> if they got him. They were gaga over him in the winter meetings. Remember, they couldn't wait to find out if he was going to sign with them. And then, and then when he signed with the Cubs, it was like the end of the world. And then they went out and got Walker, which I think was pretty, they wouldn't have had Walker or or Cespedes if they got him. And they were willing to give him fifteen million times more at thirty six years old. It would have been a disaster, Ray. And I appreciate you remembering. And look, this is not a second guess here. We're just looking at the situation where they would definitely have not uh, had Neil Walker. Now Walker's been banged up, but last year he was great to start the year for this team. They got him for nothing, trading Jonathan Nice, and they were able to re-sign you in a Cespedes. So you would have been looking at. A, a year with Zobust on the books for four years at money that they should not be spending on a guy like Ben Zobust. And it, it just say, even just say they panned out last year and they won the wild card game with Zobust. And it wouldn't have happened because the team would have looked differently. They probably wouldn't even made the postseason. But just say they did go to the postseason and they won a game. Big deal. They weren't winning the World Series with Ben Zobust without the other guys. And you would have had three more years of him and that contract holding you down. They got lucky again. That's the second time they got lucky. The first time was when the trade didn't go through with the Brewers with Wilmer and Wheeler going for Carlos Gomez. That was number one. And number two was Zobus picking the Cubs over the Mets. And, and those are arguably the two greatest moves that Alderson has made, getting lucky that the other teams didn't, in fact, or that Zobus didn't decide to sign here and that the Brewers didn't want to pull the trigger. Yeah, uh, I mean, he was, uh, they were broken. I remember watching SNY at the winter meetings. Rick, Rick John Rippo was, oh, it was almost, he was in tears that, that oh, we had to move on from this. And then they went on and got Neil Walker, which really helped him until he got hurt. Yeah, no, it did. And thanks for the call, Ray. I appreciate it. Uh, you were right. The Mets were all in on Zobust, and he spurned them, and it turned out to be a great thing. Because now, you look ahead to next year, there are no, nothing's holding them back. That's the beauty of, you know, it's okay to have a losing year. I know it hurts. Believe me, it's terrible, okay? It's watching these games. I mean, listening to these games, the team is just playing bad baseball. You know that hope is lost at this point um, in a year where you had great expectations. But they are in terrific position coming off of back-to-back postseason appearances. You're allowed to have a down year. 
and then you reload for next year, and they have the young starters. You want to see the development, as we talked about, whether it's Mats, whether it's Syndergaard coming back healthy, Zach Wheeler. You want to see these guys continue to develop, stay healthy, have them loaded up to go next year, along with Conforto and Rosario. He comes up. You want to see what he could do. And they're going to have to go out there and spend some money. Granderson coming off the books. Bruce, who knows what's going to happen with him if they decide to retain him or not, but his money's not going to be there anymore. As Drupal Cabrera, if they don't want to, they don't have to pick up his option. Neil Walker, same thing. They have a lot of flexibility. And there are some big players. I'd go, I mean, I know it's not realistic. I'd go sign all three Royals. Give me Moustakis, Hosmer, and Lorenzo Kane, and I'm set to go. Uh, uh, give me two or three. And and Lucroy while you're at it. Now, I know they're not going to build that way all through free agency, but you're telling me you wouldn't mind Lucroy where you make a trade for a catcher and then you sign Lorenzo Kane or Moustakis or Hosmer? I'll take those guys in a second. Mets are going to have some money to spend. I don't know how much of it they're going to spend or, or give long-term, but I do trust Alderson to make the right decision, not giving out uh, foolish contracts. Allen is in Queens. What's up, Allen? Hi, how are you doing, Sal? Uh, I don't think uh, – uh, just one second. I don't think that Zobis should have been MVP of the World Series. I would have given it to the starting pitcher in Game 7. Boy, you say any, anything about MVP, Allen is, is on it. I mean, my goodness, yeah. you, you can't stand uh, – You mentioned Zobis, so I said yeah. undeserved MVP, undeserved MVP. Well, who, who would you have given it to? Who was the starting pitcher in Game 7 who was taken out prematurely? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Do you, Mark? I don't remember. Do you know it? Or are you asking me? No, I, I just oh. don't remember. Cause you don't even remember his time. name, Alan. How's he going to be the MVP? You don't even remember his name. Come on. I, 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 I just don't recall. I, at the time, I remembered his name, but uh, it just slips my mind now. Alan, who's your first half MVP of the American League? Uh, actually, uh, Correa. Alan, come on. It's not Correa. He's not even the MVP on his team. Alan, you think it's Altuve as the MVP on his team? No, wrong again. Have you heard of a fellow named George Springer? Oh, yeah, he's good also. He's oh, good yeah, also. you think so? And by the way, Alan, you just, the MVP has been Aaron Judge. Yeah, except that uh, Houston has a much better record. Yeah, but, but they Korea also... Pitches, Korea works out of the shortstop slot. Yeah, but Alan, what does that mean? Alan, you are all over the place with the MVPs. You don't want to ever give credit to Mike Trout. Now you're saying Correa, who's arguably out of those guys, the third best player on his team right now. You think he's the MVP of the league? Uh, so now, yes. He has, he has 58 RBIs out of the shortstop slot. And, and, Alan, do me a favor. Uh, get back to us next week when you figure out who started Game 7 for the Cubs. I mean, we could look. You, you have it, Mark? You Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks. You think he's, Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, he was good. I mean, Kyle Hendricks was good, but he's not the MVP. Ben Zobos, as much as I – believe me, Alan, and thank you for the call. I hate to admit it. As our prior caller said, I've been calling Zobos, Zobos for over a year. How foolish do I look when the guy's sitting there holding the World Series trophy up? Oh, this moron sells that he was Zobos. Oh, <laughs> Sitting 214 now. Three more years to go. How you like me now? Right, Lisa? Absolutely. Zobust. And Alan, he Alan keeps ripping. I mean, if, if you mention the three letters MVP on the air, Alan will call in and give you his take, on, as wrong as it may be, on whoever should be the MVP, whether it's the World Series, whether it's the American League, whatever it is. I think I can't get enough. 
All right, we'll do some. Uh, what are we doing next? Uh, we'll do some basketball next. Is that right? What are we doing? I forgot. Be baseball. Scott oh, baseball. Miller. I'm sorry, Scott Miller of Bleacher Report. I'm sorry, a little out of it today. Scott Miller of Bleacher Report going to join us next on the other side. Now you're in the W O R Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete. Here's Sal Licata. Tweeted out the mention of Zobust again, asking the Twitter Twitter followers, "What's Zobust hitting this year?" Now the answer is 214, so it would have been a nice four-year deal. Anyway, uh, one reply comes from uh, a guy who calls himself uh, the most realistic Mets fan on Twitter, in all caps, most realistic Mets fan on Twitter, DK. And he tells me he helped the Cubs win a World Series. The four-year deal was worth it as soon as that was accomplished, but good try, I guess. Well, DK, first of all, let me enlighten you. You're not the most realistic Mets fan on Twitter if that is your take. And according to some of the other stuff I see on your Twitter line, uh, it certainly is uh, is not uh, an accurate description. But anyway, you're missing the point. Would Ben Zobust have won the Mets the World Series last year? The answer is no. Also, the team would not have been constructed the same with guys like Walker, with guys like Cespedes, which arguably would have made them worse. Not to mention, you still would be paying Ben Zobust Last year, this year in a lost season, and two years moving forward. So it would have been an awful move for the Mets, as stated at the time by yours truly, Ben Zobust. Thankfully, he spurned the Mets and went to the Cubs. Thankfully, Carlos Gomez, uh, you know, and the Brewers, or not Carlos Gomez, but the Brewers turned down that trade for Carlos Gomez. Two of the great moves in the Sandy Alderson regime. Sometimes it is just a, just a bit of luck. And I like Sandy. I'm a big Sandy Alderson fan. I trust him to be the guy to build this team the right way moving forward. Not giving out bad contracts. And I understand what he was looking at, thinking that, all right, the Mets have a small window. They'll deal with a fourth year, which they know is going to be a waste with Zobust if it means that they win a World Series in year one, two, or three. But it doesn't work like that. And at the time, I think he was more valued than Yoannis Cespedes was, which is which is a problem. As for the Yankees, we touched on them a little bit, and you know the problem with the Yanks. And I was look, I bought in. I thought this team was legit. I still do think they're going to be legit contenders for a playoff spot. But the return to form of Michael Pineda has been. I don't want to say surprising, but ultimately disappointing because this is what you expected this guy to do. Michael Pineda, you could never trust. He's, he's awful. I, I can't stand inconsistency. I can't stand it. I don't. That's why I always said, you know, guys like Rick Reed, guys like Steve Traxel, I'd much rather have that guy. Jordan Montgomery, I think, is a guy for the Yanks who's going to be consistent. Maybe not a top-of-the-rotation type guy, but he's going to be consistent for them. That's why I like him. I'd rather have a consistent three or four starter than a guy who on one night acts like a number one starter and on the next night acts like a number, you know, five starter or even worse. Guy who shouldn't be in the minor, or shouldn't be in the majors. And that's what Pineda is. One good, one bad. One good, one bad. One awful, one great. One awful, one great. He proved those odds wrong, or he, you know, proved the naysayers like myself wrong to start the year, the first couple of months of the season, and it was a big reason why they had some early success. But now he's returned to form, and the Yankees are suffering largely because of it. And it's not just that, too. It's And look, they're getting, I know they've been banged up a little bit, but they're getting um, great production from Aaron Judge, clearly. 
but you got Batantas who can't throw a strike. And I know he's been like that even in great years for Batantas where he's walking the bases loaded but then strikes out the side. Walks the bases loaded, strikes out the side. Drives you nuts. But this year, he's getting burnt. And those are things that would make you nervous about the Yanks. If they were just losing games or getting, you know, the offense struggling one night, okay, a starter goes out there every once in a while and gets beat up, you can understand that. The way they're losing games late with the pen and the starters being uh, way too inconsistent, that is uh, alarming. More on the Yanks and Mets, of course, in your calls, 800-321-0710. A little bit right now, we welcome in Scott Miller of Bleacher Report. Scott had an interesting article on Bleacher Report Talking about uh, Major League Baseball and how to make the game cool again. And, Scott, I think it's an interesting topic. Now, you're talking to somebody who loves baseball. I grew up loving baseball. Um, it was my favorite sport. I don't care about the time of game. As long as it's well played, I'll sit there and watch a marathon game. And I think that you know the diehard fan like myself would probably feel the same way. But you spoke to Ken Griffey Jr. You spoke to uh, big-time major leaguers uh, currently, whether it's Scherzer, Jones, Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper. And I found your article very interesting, getting quotes from those guys on how they could help make the game cooler. What was your biggest takeaway from what you heard from those guys? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks. Uh, appreciate you saying the nice things about it. I'm with you. I'm a lifetime baseball guy. I've kept the game 25, 28 years, and uh, it's been like many, many, many years since I've uh, covered any other sport. Uh, so I've got a lifetime invested in it. And, uh, you know, it's, the whole thing's been, it, it, it was kind of a fun to do. I, I kind of got into it accidentally. Uh, the folks, my folks at Bleacher Report came up with this idea for midsummer. You know, they thought, you know, so many, especially the younger people, you know, the NBA's taken over. And, and uh, with the NFL, a lot of people think, oh, baseball is too slow. Um, I, of course, think it's the coolest sport going. But, um, uh, you know, so I kind of approached these guys with that. And I also want to say it was a, it was a cool uh, – I had a partner in the project, Brandon Sneed of Bleach Report. He actually talked to Ken Griffey Jr. and Dexter Fowler. I got the rest of the guys. And as I approached the rest of the guys, I – you know, it was like, look, you know, I'm not knocking baseball. Sure, there should there can be improvements. Um, I think it's cool. How could it be cooler? And uh, yeah, you know, most of the guys had some fun with it. Um, you know, I liked, uh, uh, you know, Max Scherzer. Uh, he said, "Hey, if you play football, you're just going to scramble up your brain." We've seen the long-term consequences of that. Um, you know, it, it ranged from that to to uh, uh, you know David Price saying, you know. First of all, baseball's got to relax its uniform rules, and they've got to allow guys to wear whatever cleats they want. You know, kind of going back to Michael Jordan and LeBron James, it's all about the shoes, right? And kids today, you know, they love sneakers. Their eyes are drawn there. And, you know, not that kids are going to wear cleats around, you know, downtown Manhattan or Kansas City, but, you know, you could still have some baseball cleat designs turned into sneakers. And so, you know, that was David Price's thing, uh, um, you know, Adam Jones, he was funny. He's old school. He's, he said, uh, first thing I need to do is get rid of some of these stats off of uh, these broadcasts because they're crazy. Exit velocity, all that crap. He said, who cares? That was, that was Adam Jones of the Baltimore Orioles. So, you know, interesting different perspectives on uh, the whole idea about, you know, how, how do you make baseball cooler? Yeah, and it is interesting. We're talking with Scott Miller of Bleacher Report, talking about this article that he wrote, uh, him and his uh, – what, I'm sorry, Scott, what's your partner's name? Uh, it, uh, Brandon Sneed. Brandon, Brandon Sneed, yeah, you guys, you guys wrote this wrote this interesting article because it is something that gets constantly debated about. I'm trying to think as I'm listening to you talk here, what drew me – to the game was it you know a, a young up-and-coming star was it just the way the game is played I'm not really sure the answer but I do know that with the young 
people in today's society that don't have um, you know patience for anything, that constantly are checking their phone, that always want instant gratification, I don't think the sport plays to them well, and they deem the sport boring. Now, to me and you, who've watched the game all our lives, we look at it and we see every pitch. You know, is he going to go inside here? Is he going to go outside? Is he going to throw a fastball, curveball? All those little things, bunting strategy, whatever it may be. The nuances of the game is the beauty of the sport. How does that become rediscovered? Uh, from the younger fan, how can you have them understand why it is interesting to guys like us? Yeah, and that's how with baseball, I think internally, starting in the commissioner's office with Rob Manthers, trying to figure out right now, you know, um, I, I, you know, part of their answer is streaming and and the internet. They know they've got to, you know, basically own that because that's where you know you basically today you know, you can't sit back and let your audience come to you, right? If you're in the entertainment business, you need to go find your audience. And where's the audience? As you just said, they're all online. You know, the kids today, they're on their phones, they're on their computers. And, uh, you know, so the whole thing is, is, you know, you always hear so much about things going viral. And, you know, whether it was Nolan Arenado's just fabulous play in San Francisco the other day when he, you know, dove to his left and then ended up throwing from his back to first base. Um, you know, play like that, for example, you know, baseball wants to make sure they get it out there and, and, and have a moment like that go viral. So a lot of people can say, hey, cool, that's a cool play, cool game. We need to keep, pay attention to it. But, you know, you're right. The, 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 the you know, the, pro, the, the problem today, again, everybody's got divided attention spans. Um, you know, everybody seems to always be multitasking, you know, even, you know, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm not sitting here blaming the young people. Right. I'm, I'm you know, I'm home now watching a game on TV, and I'm scrolling through Twitter on my phone. You know, while I'm watching the Mets play the Nationals, I, although I know there's been rain there, but uh, uh, while I'm watching the Mets play the Nationals or whoever it is, I might be scrolling through Twitter, checking on you know the reports out of Detroit and out of San Francisco and whatever. But you know, I've always thought baseball has the internal advantage in that it's a summer game. I think that's one thing that drew me to it is is um, you know what what's better than you as a kid you get out of school. You've got the whole summer ahead of you. Baseball's awesome because there's a game every day. Yes. That's made a point. You know, he said, thing with football, he said, all we do is sit and talk about it for six days, and then you get it one game, and then you have to talk about it, whereas baseball's every day. And I think that's both a blessing and a curse. I think it's great that there's a game every day. But, you know, that that's, I think, for some people at this point who are, have divided attention spans, I think the everydayness of it might be too much for them to handle. And that, that's where baseball is trying to fight the battle. Talking with Scott Miller of Bleacher Report. Now, I'm with you, and I, and I know that uh, Scherzer said that about the amount of games. And, and look, I, I don't think the amount of games is the problem. I love having a companion. I mean, that's what it was. Every day you knew yeah. your team is going to be there for you. I mean, that's it. You get the course of six months. They only have a few off days sporadically here or there. They're going to be there for you. It's every night, which I love about it. Um, but there are a couple other things I took away from it, from your article, Scott. Number one was that it doesn't seem, and this may be you and I are guilty of too, the people who love baseball, it doesn't seem like the guys who are playing think that there's really an issue. They came up with little scenarios. Okay, well, you could add more music or the cleats or whatever it may be, but yeah. they really don't think it's a problem. They think baseball is a cool game, and, I, and I'm with them. I, I still love the game. Yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, one you know, th- there's also the whole old school, new school debate within a game right now, right? And and w- that was one thing maybe some guys in this piece uh, didn't address directly. But, you know, that is, um, you know, we, we, it came up so much during the World Baseball Classic. You know, the Puerto Rican team, the Dominican Republic team, 
play with so much emotion. You know, a guy hit the home run, they grandstand, they jog, they laugh, they the dugout, they dance. And, you know, that's the old thing, right? It's like the, traditionally in, 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 in the major leagues, uh, you know, it's like, hey, don't show that other guy up. And, you know, I, I do think slowly this generation is beginning to change it a little bit. The young generation, guys like Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Manny Machado, they're beginning to change things a little bit. But, you know, that, that's that's probably one area where, I'm an old school guy, but I I see what, how the landscape is today and what people's attitudes are, and that's one area where I've kind of relaxed my whole old school grumpiness of you know hey you know don't flip your bat you hit a home run act like you've been here before you know jog around the bases you know from that to I don't mind now guys show a little bit of emotion on the field I, you know I, I think you know probably you could do a whole doctorate thesis on this, but, you know, probably since the beginning of ESPN, you know, that's when I think the individuality began to come across because, you know, I think it, you know, it's been bad in a lot of ways because I, you know, sometimes the individuals uh, placed higher than the team today. And a lot of it's from, you know, from all the basketball slam dunk highlights and all the, you know, Hey, I got to do something fancy so I can get on ESPN. Uh, I think there's a lot of that that's gone on. But all that said, we are where we are today. People enjoy uh, watching players have fun and be loose and smile and, you know, show some emotion. And so, you know, that's where I relax some on my old school guard. I, I've just made it on my mind. You know what? If a guy hits a 900-foot home run and flips his bat, I'm not going to write a column ripping the guy. If fans want to see that, I, you know, that's fine. I mean, the world's changed a little bit. I don't mind that. that that's, I think, another area where, where maybe baseball, you know, could, could you know, prove a little bit, maybe be a little cooler. Yeah, we're, we're evolving, Scott, because I'm with you. I don't like that nonsense. I, I appreciate a guy who hits a home run, puts his head down, but I don't mind it yeah. uh, as much anymore. I'm kind of opening up to it a little bit. Sal Akata on the Sports yep. Zone, talking with Scott Miller, Bleacher Report. A couple of things before we let you go, Scott. Marketing the sport. I mean, one of the things that was alarming and, and true, too, David Price saying, I think it was David Price who said, if Paul Goldschmidt walked into our clubhouse right now, nobody would know yep. who he is. And I, and I watch Goldschmidt. I wouldn't know who he is if he walked in front of me. I couldn't pick him out of the lineup if I saw him walking down the street. Uh, and he's one of the best players in the game. Do you think that marketing is an issue for Major League Baseball? It's a huge issue. And I know for a fact that baseball itself agrees with this and thinks it's an issue. I, I did a Q&A with Commissioner Rob Manford. I sat down with him during spring training in February uh, and, and, and talked to him and actually talked to him about marketing. And, yeah, he gets it. And, I mean, you know, there's polls out there that show, you know, the top 50 sports celebrities in the world and, you know, I think – or the top 100. And I think baseball's first, David Ortiz, who's now retired, came in at about 52 or 62, maybe 42nd. But bottom line is baseball didn't have anywhere in the top 10 – and David Price is right. Paul Goldschmidt could walk in and nobody would know him. And to that end, I'll give you one, th- one thing baseball is trying to do, uh, one concrete example, but it's emblematic of others. And that is, I don't know if you saw last winter, it's kind of quiet because it's in the off season, but it's during the winter meetings. Baseball announced that, uh, you know, the uniform supplier contract had come up. And in 19- 2019, I think it's up. So starting in 2020, Under Armour is going to supply baseball with its uniforms. And the reason I bring that up is baseball's attitude here is they were, they're looking for a younger a, a clothing company, an apparel company that the kids love, that's hip with the kids, number one. 
Number two, a company that's going to kind of co-partner with baseball in marketing these stars. Baseball, in other words, they've reached a conclusion, which I agree and applaud them. And I think, you know, it, it, it gives me hope for the future of the game. They've reached a conclusion. Look, the old way of doing it was we market our players on our own. The new modern digital way we have to do it is we find we partner with companies, whether it's Under Armour for clothing or whoever it is, a soft drink company, uh, you know, be, you know, Beats maybe for earphones, headphones, whatever it is. We've got to partner with companies and and then have them help us market the game and have them help create the stars nationally in the in the youth culture. And I think that's smart and it's the way they have to go yeah it's definitely a problem and they do have to you know figure out a a way to market their stars better last one for you scott um i don't think pace of play necessarily is a problem i think it's poor play which leads to you know feeling like you're sitting there watching a three and a half hour game that's just not any good with guys walking uh, the ballpark who can't throw strikes whether it's bad defense strikeouts all over the place whatever it may be i think it's poor play more than pace of play but one idea i would maybe be open to and i think it was david price again who referenced this starting the count um you know with one strike or one ball however it may be where where two strikes is a strikeout three balls is a walk i kind of i i like that idea i feel like it leads for more action maybe save some of the pitchers arms maybe have pitchers go deeper into games again what are your thoughts on that and do you think it's realistic to maybe see a change one day like that down the road you know it's it's an interesting thought there's no question i don't know how realistic it is because the one thing baseball battles as it tries to evolve is it's it's got so much history and that's one of the great things about the game And and the issue is um you know, if you make too many radical changes, like say two strikes is a strikeout instead of three or whatever it is, um, you know, now you're really starting to threaten with messing with all these historical records, you know, fans that like to compare whoever it is, Derek Jeter or Francisco Lindor with players from previous generations. Now, all of a sudden, if you change rules significantly, you know, you're talking about apples in the game today with us with versus oranges in the past. And so I think that's a tough one. But I you know we, we could probably go on for about three hours, you and I. I think we're on the same page on a lot of this. I totally agree with you. I, I, I in baseball, I think Manfred agrees too. The three and a half hour game's not the problem. The problem is either poor play or all of the dead time. And that's why you've heard Manfred sort of pivot from worrying about time of game and when his first year's commissioner he wanted to get games in three hours or less now you don't hear him now you don't hear pace you hear about pace of game not time of game and that means eliminating the dead time last year the stat that really uh peak baseball's interest last year in a negative way and, and made i think he's really got mad for thinking we've got to be proactive uh here is last year 31% roughly, about 31% of it bats ended in a strikeout, a walk, or a few, of course, in a hit by pitch. So that means roughly a third of the time, fans in the stands, us at home watching games on TV, about a third of the time, a hitter goes to the plate and then either walks back to the dugout or walks to first base without putting the ball in play. That is way, way too much, too high of a percentage. You- You've got to eliminate that dead time. And I think that will both make us think the game is improved 
from a rough spot it's in right now. And I think, it, uh, you know, you put more action into it. I think that also helped kids, younger generations say, hey, that's a cool sport. We need to pay attention. Yeah, no question about it. Scott Miller, Bleacher Report. Scott, great article. Make baseball uh, cool again. Uh, check it out uh, on Bleacher Report. Some interesting stuff there. Some great quotes from Ken Griffey Jr., Mark- Max Scherzer, David Price, among others. Adam Jones was good in there, too. Appreciate a couple minutes, Scott. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. 800 Your calls on whatever it is. You want to talk about baseball and how the games evolve, what you could do to make it, uh, what they could do to make it better. Mets, Yanks. Uh, we'll do some Knicks probably as well before we say goodbye at 9 o'clock. It's Sal Licata on the Sports Zone, the voice of New York, 710 WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. In for Pete, here's Sal Licata. 800-321-0710, The number to call Tom is calling from Manhattan. Tom, you're on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. What's up? Sal, I don't know where you uh, get this about Zobris, but I, I don't have access to, to Zobris. Ben oh, Zobris. Zo- oh, Zobust. I'm sorry, Zobust. No, no, no. His, his name is Zobris. Oh, oh no, Zobust. And, and you keep saying he bat, he's batting 214. Odds are he'll be batting 285 at the end of the season. Zobos? And what has he batted in his other, with, with other clubs for the, over the last three years? What has he batted? I don't know what, 280, 260? Why, why, why don't you tell me? Why don't you, why don't you know? What's the difference? That's your job. You no, 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 no. Hey, Tom, Tom, I got news for you. I know my job. You don't have to tell me my job. And that's well, well, why don't you know what he batted? You're saying this guy's a bust? What? What has he batted for the last three Tom, or four years? Tom, Tom, do you yeah. think it would have been a good move for the Mets to sign him prior to last season instead of signing? Forget about that. That's, no, that's the whole point. You're talking that's about the whole him point. being a bust. Tom, You're that's the whole he's point. We'll show it Zobust. in the numbers. Zobust. Zobust, that's the whole point, Tom. What don't you understand? My you, whole... why, don't, why don't you understand? Tom, you don't want to talk me... facts. You no, just no, no. want to talk baloney. No, Tom, let's try, to, let's try to do this without yelling at each other, and I will talk well, facts. Well, you're yelling, too. All right. Well, as I'm saying, so I, I'm not going to yell at you. Let's talk calmly okay. and get this out. The whole reason I came up with Zobust was because the Mets wanted to make him the centerpiece of their free agent offseason. After appearing in the World Series, they wanted Zobust first and foremost. You're screaming again. They wanted Zobust first and foremost after the 2015 World Series appearance instead of Cespedes and instead of Neil Walker, as it turned out. That was their guy. Four years, $50 million, whatever it would have been, they wanted Zobust to be their guy. That is why I said it would have been a complete bust had he come here. Oh, okay. All right. That's that's okay. I can see. You know, you're you're turning the thing around. You make. You know, you're turning it around. But you know, we talk about people being busts usually because they don't hit well enough. They don't knock in runs when it counts. They can't play their positions. Uh, you know, proficiently. Zobis has done all of those things up to this point, and will continue. You know, except for the batting this year, and will continue. And I think he is on his way. This takes a long time to do it, but I think he's on his way to Hall of Fame. Oh, and no. at that point, uh, you know, that's a long time from now. I won't be around for it. But well, you, hopefully remember this either. conversation. You probably will be around for it. Well, hopefully and, and, and he'll be going into the Hall of Fame, and he'll be saying, oh, yeah, I was making that all that stuff, that Zobust, all, that, all those years ago, and that was all baloney. Well, it does start from, Tom, and look, I respect your opinion. I appreciate you calling, but it does start from, as I said, it would have been about the Mets signing him, not necessarily ripping his entire career, but if the Mets were to sign him, he would have been a bust here, hence the moniker Zobust. The fact that he's hitting two fourteen in year 
year two of that ridiculous contract proves me right as far as I'm concerned. And even without that, I still don't think, I don't care if he's sitting 340 right now. I don't care that he won the World Series MVP a year ago. He would not have been a good fit here for this team for that contract. Producer Mark, can you do me a favor and look up Zobus career numbers? Um, and Tom, with all due respect, I mean, Ben Zobust is not a Hall of Famer. If Ben Zobust is a Hall of Famer, I'll never go there again. I mean, that's, come on, that's a stretch. What is he, a career 280 hitter, tops? Now, look, maybe I'm way off on Zobust, but there's no chance the guy's a Hall of Famer. Not even close. 264 career batting average. Uh, 264. Give me, give me some other career numbers for Zobust. 115, 52 home runs, 666 RBIs. So he must be the devil or something. Uh, let's see, a three fifty on base percentage. Uh, is that? I mean, is this, first of all, it's not. It's not even great. Is, I mean, Hall of Fame. Come on, now, Tom. I can understand you like the fact that he's willing to play every everywhere. That he's giving you some clutch at bats in the postseason. He had a great postseason last year. World Series MVP is not enough. Hall of Famer, please. Neither. I don't care how old they are. Neither, neither of us, Tom, will be around to see that. I appreciate the call. Back to your calls after this. 800-321-0710. Lakata on the Sports Zone. The voice of New York. 710 WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Lakata. Get into the Knicks. Maybe do some Jets in the final hour of the show. Also talk to Wayne Randazzo, our own Wayne Randazzo, coming up at 8.05. Get the latest from the Mets. Uh, with Wayne as well. 800-321-0710, the number to call. Enjoying taking your calls. Right now, let's go back to the phones. Alex is in Queens. Alex, you're on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. What's up, Alex? Hey, what's up? You make excellent points. And the funny thing about Zobrist, even last year when the Cubs were scoring a lot of runs, he had a lot of protection, so his numbers would be even worse than 264 as a career average. But I look at, you know, in the offseason when everyone was saying this was our year and the Mets are going to do a lot this year, I, I felt that they would be a disaster for one very simple reason. Everyone forgot that last year, at one point, the Mets were 60-62 and 62 towards the end of August, and they were close to six games out of the wild card. But people didn't realize Reyes had been on the team for a month and a half. That was the red flag because before they got him, they were nine games over 500. So something changed. And I kept them bringing up how you look at the Blue Jays in 2015, a team with Donaldson and Encarnacion and Bautista. Mark Burley was great. You had Marco Estrada. You had Marcus Stroman. Yet they were under 500. So something was very off with that team. And we all knew Reyes had a big influence in that clubhouse, always laughing with guys. They got rid of him. Tulowitzki did absolutely nothing, yet they got 25 games better. Jose Reyes is one of the rear players that is very, very unhealthy for a team. He creates a personality. We saw it at the bleach chair last year. He create, it throws off everyone's timing without them realizing. And I told you all offseason that this team would be a disaster. In my opinion, this was the worst move in Mets history, bringing this guy, because he's really unhealthy. And I believe if they got rid of him, hopefully they do, they will start to win. Thanks all right, for co- taking my call. Couple of th- well, okay, well, thanks for making it, uh, Alex. But there's a couple of things there to talk about. Number one... Um, I do think it does go to show you that just because a team amasses talent doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win. The clubhouse chemistry is a major, major, major factor that continues for whatever reason to be overlooked largely in sports. And I, I do not. I value that almost more than anything else. The talent should be pretty equal when you get to the major league level. So it's how does that talent gel? Now, I know some teams are more talented than others. I get that. But chemistry is a huge thing. As for Reyes being a problem, I don't know if he was a problem when he was here the first time, but I would say that I think he'd have been more of an issue with the you know 2007 team 
right? Like those teams, 2007, 2008, maybe those teams started to, I don't know, have a divide. There were reports. I know it was Carlos Delgado and um, I forget exactly who, but maybe Delgado and, and Reyes against you know, LaDuca and Wagner, things like that. That was happening back in the 2006 years. So maybe Reyes was a part of that bad clubhouse chemistry between those talented Mets teams in the late 2000s. I'm not 100% sure. What I do know is Sandy Alderson believed that Reyes was going to be a positive in that area by bringing him back. Because I'm with you. I would not have brought back Jose Reyes last year. I'm on record as saying it. I thought Reyes would be no better than a 25th man a year ago. And when he came here, he produced. And he made me look foolish. And he made a lot of people who doubted him look foolish because he produced uh, right away. And he, I don't know, he, he looked good. I mean, he looked like a good baseball player a year ago. Now, this year, he has not been a good baseball player. And he's also, um, you know, he's not playing good defense. He's not, obviously, he's not hitting, hitting under 200, all those different things. But I do think one of the reasons he is stuck around is the complete opposite of what you said, Alex. I think they believe they have a good clubhouse guy with Jose Reyes, mainly when you talk about his relationship with Yoannis Cespedes. The, there was a report, oh man, who wrote it? Uh, I think it was in the one of the Jersey papers, maybe maybe the Wall Street Journal or something. I forget. James Wagner, is that a guy who covers the Mets? I forget his name off the top of my head, but I believe he had it. I wrote an article a few weeks ago, which I found interesting, on Reyes and his relationship with Cabrera and their influence on Cespedes. So maybe that, after reading that, I felt, well, okay, well, this makes sense. That's why. First of all, you know, that's why they didn't want to do anything to upset Cabrera because Cabrera, no question, a year ago when he came here, had a great rapport with Yoannis Cespedes, and that is a big deal, keeping your superstar happy, right, and having him having fun and loose in that clubhouse, feeling comfortable for team chemistry. And then you add Reyes to that, and those three apparently very close. So that, to me, has to be the number one reason why Jose Reyes is here. Plus, you heard Sandy Alderson talk about Jose Reyes when they took the chance on him after all that he went through with the domestic violence stuff. You know, they took a big chance putting the organization out there, knowing that they were going to get some backlash for that. And Alderson said in his dealings with Reyes, he believed that he was a good guy. Now, obviously, he made a terrible mistake, whether you want to call that a mistake or not. I, I don't necessarily call that a mistake, but it was a hideous uh, act with Reyes, with went on there uh, at the time when he was uh, a member of the Rockies. Um, and he got suspended. I don't know if you think that's you know significant uh, punishment enough or not, but either way, he was uh, cut, and the Mets had an opportunity to bring him in, and Alderson believed that he was a good guy, and I believe that he still thinks Reyes could be a positive in that clubhouse. That's why they're keeping him around here. More importantly than just in the clubhouse, um, his rapport with guys like Cabrera and Cespedes. I do agree, though, Alex, that he needs to be cut. I'd rather see somebody else have that roster spot at this point, a young guy. I don't care who it is. Now, maybe not right now, but eventually there's no point in having Jose Reyes on this team. I don't think he adds uh, much in either department uh, anymore. I mean, maybe if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of keeping Cespedes and Cabrera happy and keeping those guys together, fine. That, that's the only value because he's not very good defensively and he can't hit for anything right now. And obviously his legs aren't what they once were. So there's, there are a lot of issues as Reyes, the, uh, for Reyes, the ball player. His makeup, I think, is an interesting interesting question. I don't think it's one of the reasons why the Mets you know, fell off a little bit when he was here a year ago. I do think he is a positive in that department, as I said, at least in the regard of being friendly with Ioannis Cespedes and his Drupal Cabrera. And, you know, it, it's important to be able to have that comfort and chemistry uh, with inside the locker room. As for Toronto, who knows if Reyes was the problem there or not, but something clearly was going on. They had too much talent to be that bad. 
And then eventually they broke it up. And you said brought in Tulo. He didn't do anything, and they ended up getting better. I don't know if it's specifically Jose Reyes. I don't know. There's always been something off with Reyes for me, even dating back to you know when they were was talk about maybe breaking up the young core, who to trade Reyes or Wright. I was always on the side of trading Jose Reyes. I don't know if it was just the you know shining the light on the field when he would go out there with his hand and get all into it. Not not necessarily that. Just maybe more so, I felt like he was a losing player. That he would never get a big hit in a big a big spot. And you could always pitch to him with guys on base. You throw one ten feet high. You throw one in the dirt. Reyes is going to swing at it. And now I loved Reyes in the 2006 postseason. Right, Game Six, Shea Stadium, leading off the game with a home run. Everybody waving the towels. That was great. I think that was Reyes at his peak. I loved him that year as a player. But I think if you watch him closely enough that season and even after that season, you saw him more so. You know, even when he went on to win the batting title years later, you saw it. You, he could be pitched to in big spots, and I would not have given Reyes a big contract at the time. What I would have done was look to move him and get something of value back. I thought the Mets missed the boat with that years ago, but I do think the time with Jose Reyes will come to an end, uh, likely at the end of the year, as it will with a bunch of other players. Mets need to reshape the look of this team. 800-321-0710, 800-321-0710. I'm going to do what's worse in a little bit with producer Mark. As we said, going to talk to Wayne Randazzo at 8.05. Also do some Jets and tanking for Sam Darnold. Maybe do that a little bit later on. Uh, we could get into the Knicks and their direction, what it should be. Also some news regarding the Nets and some news regarding uh, Derek Jeter and the bid for ownership of the Miami Marlins. So we'll get into all that when we return on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. Now, more of the WOR Sports Zone. In for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. 800-321-0710, 800-321-0710 is the number to call. Looks like the Heat made a uh, big free agent uh, move right here. Kelly Olynyk agrees to a four-year, $50 million deal uh, with Miami. I like the way the Heat are going this year. Everybody but the Knicks should be uh, competitive. We'll do more uh, more Knicks. Of course, I'm joking. There are a lot of bad teams in the East, but I do think the Heat are going to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. I, I put them as high as four or five right now. Uh, but I like that uh, move with bringing in Olenek after the Celtics uh, parted ways with him. Nets also have that offer sheet out there for Otto Porter, and it looks like Washington, uh, apparently they're going to match it, but there's a kicker in the thing. There's a player option for the fourth year, so we'll see. They have till midnight, I believe, on July 8th to decide to match or not, and I love the direction the Nets are going. The only thing missing for the Nets are the picks. Anyway, we'll do more on the Knicks, maybe more Jets a little bit later. Wayne Randazzo, 805. Back to your calls. Scott is in Nutley. Scott, you're on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. Hey, Sal. Thanks for taking my call. What's up, uh, Scott? Yeah, so I kind of have a two-part question. The first the first question is, uh, with the salary dump that will come with I, what I think are five players that won't be on the team next year, we're talking Reyes, Granderson, Walker, Duda, uh, Cabrera, uh, does that give the Mets enough financial movement to sign a top free agent like, say, uh, one of three, Josh Donaldson, Eric Hosmer, or, or Moustakis? Yeah, how about Loren- like- throw Lorenzo Cain in there or even Jonathan Lucroy, who I know is having a down year. Yeah, better give him flexibility to at least sign two. I mean, they need some players. They're not paying anybody. Who else are they paying? David Wright's really the only Well, I mean, Cespedes too, but he- even he has a short deal. But outside of that, it's Cespedes and Wright. Who else is making money? Seriously. Right. So Give me so the guy. Exactly. So they should have money. So that's the first question. The second question is, if all else fails and they can't get a third baseman for next year, do they bring back Cabrera and put him at third base? Has he ever played third base? 
Yeah, he could play third base. I believe he has played a little bit of it with, um, I'm sure, with Washington. I think he played with Washington. I know he played second base and maybe with Tampa Bay before that. Can we look into that, producer Mark, to see how many games Cabrera's played at third? But he could handle third base, and he can handle second. That's why I would pick up his option for $8 million or whatever it is, just under $9 million, because I like his makeup. I like him on this team. I like what he does offensively. Uh, or what he's done since he's been here offensively, and I like that he could play second and he could play it well, and he could play third base when you know they're most likely not going to have David Wright. So I I like Cabrera back uh, as a part of this team. Even if you had to have him come off the bench or be that – um, you know, dare I say it, Zobus type that could play a little bit, uh, you know, around the infield there. I know he can't play the outfield like Zobus, but he could play second and third base and back up short if he needed to if something went wrong with Rosario. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, he's he's looked he's looked uh, like a little leaguer at at shortstop, but he he looks very. He's got a better range at second. So yeah, I I, I wish the best for him. I hope he comes. You know, it would be nice to have him back. Yeah. Thanks for taking my call. So. Yeah, no, no problem. Thanks for making it. Appreciate it, Scott. Uh, you know, remember, shortstop for the Mets, Wilmer Flores was the starting shortstop going in the 2015 season. That's all you need to know. I mean, the guy, he can't even play third. He can't play anywhere in the infield. And he was their starting shortstop going into the season in which they ended up going to the World Series. Hurt them in the postseason, losing Ruben Tejada. Chase Utley. <clears throat> But it'd be nice for the Mets to have Rosario starting at shortstop and then have Cabrera at either second or third to start the year, maybe come off the bench if David Wright's healthy, and we all know that's not going to be the case, but you have to say that just to be nice to David. And I I do think he has a role on this team. I would actually be surprised at this point if the Mets didn't pick up his option. Just no need to do it now. Too much could happen. No need to pick up his option now. Wait till the end of the year and check everything out. And there are going to be a lot of players who are on this team right now that will not be there next year. And they they should have plenty of available money to to go out there and get at least one big free agent, maybe two. Now, remember, big spending doesn't necessarily mean big results. But in this case, you know, they got to find somebody to replace Granderson, somebody to replace Bruce, somebody to replace Neil Walker. I would love the idea of two of those Royals, Hosmer, Moustakas, or Kane. Give me two. Hey, Lucroy, while you're at it, go nuts. Go crazy. Go ahead, producer Mark. Grand total of three outs in his career for Cabrera at third base. So he has not played third base at the major league level that much. Now, I know Collins wanted to move him there. When did he do that? Was it with Tampa or was it, it was with... back in 07 with the Indians. Oh, with the Indians. Oh, okay. How about that? So he definitely could play second. I'm sure, look, he could play third. If you could, the, you don't go from third base or second base to shortstop. You go from short to the other position. So he'll be fine there uh, in a year. And maybe he's the everyday second baseman to start the season. Who knows? Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete, here's Sal Licata. Final hour of the Sports Zone. Remember, we'll be back with you next week during the All-Star break. We'll uh, have a guest on live from Miami uh, during the All-Star festivities, maybe on Monday night during the Home Run Derby. Should be an exciting Home Run Derby with all the participants in that. You have the All-Star game on Tuesday, a couple of days off, and then resume Second half of the season, which, uh, you know, hopefully for the Mets is not uh, a long, too long of a second half here. You want to see um, some good baseball and finish out the string, you know, strong here. I know, you know, people still want to maybe hold out hope. And believe me, you know, you remember, you heard me. I was telling Pete a couple of weeks ago the Mets could uh, take two of three from the Giants and Marlins and Phillies. 
still don't believe, but I believe that that could happen because those are bad, awful, uh, bad baseball teams, awful baseball teams for that matter. And they did do that and clearly uh, didn't matter because the Nats pummeled them and uh, the Mets needed to sweep some of those series and they didn't do that. But I, if anybody wants to hold out hope, it's me. I don't want to sit here and, and not uh, have the Mets be relevant in the second half of the season. So you look at the standings and, well, the Rockies have come back to the pack a little bit, losing again today to the Cincinnati Reds. Colorado has been downright awful. I mean, since they had Nolan Arenado had a walk-off homer for a cycle, and then he had a two-run triple against the Diamondbacks in a three-game series, the first game in that three-game series, and he had that two-run triple in the eighth. They didn't give the Diamondbacks the, the lead. They went on to win that game, and they basically didn't win a game since for a, a week and a half. Lost the remaining two of that series of the Diamondbacks, got swept by the Dodgers, then got swept by the awful Giants right after the Mets went into San Francisco and swept the Giants. Giants returned the favor, sweep the Rockies. And, you know, the Rockies have been – I can't believe how fast they've fallen. Now, they still have a seven-game lead over the Mets, and they still have a significant lead in that second wild card spot, certainly. But they have fallen off uh, pretty good. And giving some other teams, I guess, an opportunity here. You look at the way the the landscape is of the National League. The Nats have basically run away with it. Dodgers starting to pull away from everybody there. Even uh, even the Diamondbacks, as good as they've been, you get, just get the sense Dodgers starting to pull away. And the Brewers, the Brew Crew, doing a nice job in the NL Central. Is everybody's just waiting for the Cubs to go right? That's what it's been all year long. And here we are on July sixth. Well, at some point the Cubs will get it going and take off and win the division. Well, I mean, Brewers spanked the Cubs today. They start to pull away even further. Brewers playing pretty uh, solid baseball here. Now, I still don't believe that they'll hold it up based on nothing other than just, I guess, the odds coming into the season. You figure the Cubs at some point will get it. But, man, the longer we go here, maybe uh, maybe the Brewers are for it. All right, let's take a uh, break from that and get to some Mets info with our own Wayne Randazzo. Wayne, I appreciate you taking a few minutes here on the off day. Hate to bother you, but uh, I do appreciate the time. Um, you know, I guess let's start with uh, Bartolo Colon. I know there's going to be a decision tomorrow on him. Do you think that it's likely he decides to come back to the Mets, or you think maybe he decides to go to a team that has a better chance of maybe making the postseason? You know, from everything I've heard, Sal, I would say that it would be surprising to me if Bartolo went anywhere else on his own volition. It seemed like he had regrets about going to Atlanta in the first place, about leaving the Mets in the first place. So for him to you know, have a chance to come back to the Mets and then go somewhere else a second time would really be shocking to me based on what I've heard. So it seems like it's a match. It seems like the Mets have been pretty transparent. They want Cologne back. And, and you know, again, from everything I've heard, Bartolo wants to be back. So I'm not sure what any holdup would be. But I guess you know, another team could swoop in. Maybe the thought of, of trying to win something somewhere else, a more guaranteed shot of winning is – uh, you know, more attractive to him. I, I don't know, but I would think it's going to happen. I know the fans will be excited about it. Forget about his, you know, eight plus ERA there, whether it's that ballpark or whatever it may be. But how excited do you think his former teammates would be to have him walk back into that clubhouse? Yeah, I think it'll be great. I think, it, I think it's a good thing for everybody. I think the organization wants him. I think that the fans miss him. I think his teammates miss him. So, you know, I don't really see any negative to it. They certainly need pitching. It's been a big hole for them, obviously, all year long. And, and uh, I think that Cologne would would be a, a nice boost in, in every way, whether that's the fan base, whether that's ticket sales, whether that's, you know, just uh, having him in the clubhouse, all that stuff. I think it all counts. And I think that Bartolo checks off a lot of boxes in that way. 
talking about our own Wayne Randazzo. You can hear him, of course, right here uh, during the Mets pregame show, Mets postgame show, even some play-by-play every now and then. Uh, the reason I bring up the clubhouse stuff, Wayne, I always think it's an important thing with chemistry. I know you're there every day, and I don't need to get you know specific answers, which guys are great, which guys aren't, but we had a caller call before and say that Reyes – was a negative. He thought Reyes was a negative influence in that clubhouse, but I've read stuff and heard stuff that you know he's a positive influence on specifically guys like Adriel Cabrera and Yoenis Cespedes. What do you think Reyes's impact is on that clubhouse? Yeah, I'm sure that's the same guy that tweets at all of the reporters about <laughs> how much he hates Jose Reyes. So uh, I think I know who you're talking about, but I, um, you know, it, it, from what I understand and from what I see. They like having Reyes around. They think he's a guy who shows up and, and tries hard every day. You know, the results really haven't been there for him this year the way that everybody had hoped. And, you know, I think that's worn on him and that's worn on the Mets, certainly. But I don't think they've ever called into question Jose's attitude. And, frankly, I think that's one of the big reasons why they brought him back was because he did bring that breath of fresh air to the team. So, you know, he's played just about every day. He's been one of the few guys who's been durable, maybe the only guy who's been reliably out there. And, you know, say what you will about his on-field product this year, but I think that Jose Reyes does have a place uh, in this organization, on this team. And I think he does, you know, in some ways kind of kind of hold court with some of the Latin players. I think when Med Rosario does come, assuming that Reyes is still on the team at that point, I think he'll be a good mentor to him, and I think they trust him in that role, whereas maybe they don't trust certain others. Now, you mentioned Ahmed Rosario. Let's go there next. At what point do you think, and look, I, I was never for rushing him up here. I didn't care. I didn't think it was a big deal. But now, with the season certainly looking like it slipped away, at what point do you think we'll see Ahmed Rosario up here? Well, I think uh, some of that depends on the trade deadline. You know, I think they want to make sure that Estrubal Cabrera has a home. And I think that they want to make sure that, that they have a spot for Ahmed Rosario without poisoning the clubhouse in any way. So I think that, you know, if, if some of these things could take care of themselves, and maybe that does include Reyes. You know, maybe Reyes doesn't survive an Ahmed Rosario call up, but they, they don't really want to have veteran players who are still able sitting around and watching Ahmed Rosario play. I don't think that's going to be a benefit to anybody. And, they you know, in some ways it could be a detriment. So, you know, I remember when Starlin Castro got called up to the Cubs. He got called up early in that in the season, his rookie year, and he kind of got called into a negative environment. You know, Ramos Ramirez and Carlos Zambrano were still Cubs at that time and nearing the ends of their time there, and they were, you know, not really great leaders, especially for a young Latin player. And I think Starlin developed a lot of bad habits that he's just now seeing his way out of you know, many years later at this point. So I, I don't think they want Ahmed Rosario to be forced into a situation where it's not ideal for him to develop at the major league level. And, you know, I think as far as wins and losses go, they, they you know, in some ways will sacrifice some of that to make sure that they get the guy that they're hoping to get once he gets up here. Boy, there you have it. I mean, that's the best answer that I've heard, Wayne, uh, right there with the, you know, you could read between the lines and listen to Alderson when he speaks, but... That's something I didn't even know about Cabrera being a negative influence on Rosario. Now, you figured that would be the case when he was playing shortstop, but I was under the belief, especially after what we saw a couple of weeks ago, where you know he comes out and says, I want to be traded, and then cooler heads prevailed. He goes and plays second base and being a good soldier. 
So you think Cabrera will be moved uh, before Rosario comes up? Because I was hoping that maybe he could be a piece next year, pick up the option, have him play some second, have him play some third, be a mentor to a guy like Rosario. But you think it's more so Cabrera is going to be off the team before Rosario comes up? I would imagine. I mean, I think where Cabrera is right now, he's obviously concerned about, you know, his future and his career. He's not in the same spot in his career as Jose Reyes is, where Reyes, you know, has has clearly been given many opportunities to perform this year and hasn't. And you start to think that maybe Jose's just kind of near the end. Whereas Cabrera, I think, still believes he he has a contract waiting for him at the end of this year. He wants to play every day. And if Ahmed Rosario is a Met, at the major league level, then uh, it's going to be difficult for Cabrera to play every day, especially if Neil Walker's back from the disabled list, uh, which is which you know is only a couple of weeks away. And you have third base to figure out whether that's Flores or you know, maybe you move Cabrera to another position, and maybe maybe Cabrera does you know improve his standing in the clubhouse and 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 does become a better soldier than he's been the last couple of weeks, and and takes third base when Rosario comes up and and does throw an arm around the kid and, 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 and guide him along the way. Maybe Cabrera does do that. But I, I think at this point, you know, there's legitimate concern that, you know, maybe Estrubal Cabrera just wants to get out, as he stated, and that, you know, it's, it's better for him. He's playing every day and, and trying to prove that he can still be a valuable asset in the major leagues. And if Rosario's in the way of that, you just don't know how that's going to mesh. Yeah, interesting to see how that's going to play out. That's certainly something to keep an eye on here and what seems to be a lost season. Look, these things happen, Wayne. I mean, they're coming off back-to-back uh, postseason appearances. It's been a rough year, injuries, bad performance, whatever you want to say right now. I mean, they've even said it themselves uh, a couple weeks ago, Get a, you know, more be sellers than buyers, uh, certainly at the trade deadline. What players you think uh, they'd expect to move here come uh, trade deadline? Yeah, so no, I mean, you know, Jay Bruce is certainly a guy you'd figure to be valuable at the trade deadline, a big left-handed power hitter for, for that matter. So is Lucas Duda. You just don't know how the Mets want to approach this if, you know, they don't feel like they're going to get back what they what they think these guys are worth, if they're going to pull the trigger. I mean, if you feel like on Duda, they probably should. I don't know if he really fits in their long-term plans. I think they would like to find a home for Jay Bruce. Maybe that's at first base in the future, or maybe that's that is in the outfield. Maybe Conforto is a center fielder for the next couple of years. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked to see Jay Bruce and the Mets try to work it out. But you know, it also there's just so many factors right now for them. Does, does Neil Walker return uh, in time for July 31st? Is July 31st even a hard date? Can they wait until the August and uh, waiver trade deadline and just kind of do what they did to acquire Addison Reed and make some trades in that manner. So, you know, if if the Mets don't make a move by the end of July, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't moves to be made in August. I, I think that the Mets will be patient here, and I think they're going to try to get the best bang for their buck. Now, do you think there could be a scenario where, just say they decide to trade Jay Bruce, but maybe re-sign him after they trade him in the offseason? Yeah, it's always tough, you know. It's always tough to, once that guy goes away, and kind of gets used to another organization or he's out of, he's just kind of out of the line of communication with you. You know, it's always tough to do that. It's not impossible. We just saw Roldis Chapman do it. Mm. You know, he, he trades, gets traded to the Cubs, wins a world series and goes right back to the Yankees. So it's not out of the question completely, but it is a little bit more difficult for whatever reason, once you lose a guy. 
Yeah, and I guess the next question then will be Addison Reed because he would be maybe one of those guys too. It has happened before. If they give him you know, the most money, then certainly you could uh, re-sign a guy. Would you think the Mets would not trade Addison Reed, Wayne, at this point uh, to the Nationals, even if the Nats, say, had the best package to offer? I, I would hope not. I would hope that the Mets would still make a deal. Uh, you know, again, Reed's a free agent. Just because he goes to Washington doesn't mean he'll stay there. Uh, I'd get their hesitation in that in that regard, but I I would think if if you're the Mets and you're trying to put together a team for 2018, and again, this is kind of a soft rebuild if they trade some of these guys. This is a team that still expects to compete next year once they have all the pitchers back. Cespedes, Conforto, they've got pieces. Ahmed Rosario every day. You know they've got pieces to compete in 2018, so they want to get things back that can help them do that. And if they can get a package from the Nationals for Addison Reed, then I, I, to me, I think the Nationals would be more hesitant because they're going to give up young players that will help the Mets long term, whereas Reed would basically be a rental. So it, it's an interesting situation as far as keeping Reed. You know, if he's a closer now, if he's going to go get closer money in the off season and be guaranteed a closer's role then I don't know that he would even want to come back to the Mets and, and be a setup man again. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Uh, he may want to go close somewhere else. He's not going to have the opportunity here. All right, Wayne, last one before we let you go. Uh, you mentioned the closer. Familia, obviously, on the shelf. Harvey, Syndergaard, Wright. Any reason to believe that any of those guys, and I know all different reasons why they're shelved, but significant injuries. Any reason to believe that any of those guys will be back at some point for this Mets team this year? I think Familia is definitely going to be back soon. I think he'll be back probably by, by the 1st of August. Um, you know, Harvey, I don't know. It's just kind of a strange injury. I think you know, Harvey's, you know, he wants to start throwing and he wants to kind of see if he can come back. Um, and I think he is committed to trying to do that. But it's, you know, that, that, that whole back-of-the-shoulder bone injury, I mean, that's that's kind of a scary thing and they have to be careful about it. And Syndergaard, you know, I think it's kind of 50-50. If, if you get to a point where you're looking at September 1st, and you're not in the race, is it even worth it hmm. to, to do that? Um, you know, I think in some ways it is. You don't want to have them sitting around too long. You'd like to get them, you know, 25, 30 innings at the end if you can. But on the other hand, is it worth any risk that might be there if, if it's not really in a competitive situation? So uh, I think Cindergard and Harvey are toss-ups. But Familia, I think you'll you'll see fairly soon. And no David Wright. We can't expect – I mean, who knows when he's going to play, but you wouldn't expect him this year, would you? I mean, they're they're trying to they're trying, but I I just don't see how it's feasible at this point. You're you're probably talking about end of August, early September, if everything goes really well. And you know, as we've seen with David, things really haven't gone that well. And you know, he's incredibly missed. I think in that clubhouse, uh, you know, and, and as a as a leader and and all that. But you know, it just gets less and less likely that he's going to play with every passing day. Thanks, Wayne. Appreciate a few minutes. Enjoy the rest of your off day. All right. Thanks, Sal. All right, Wayne Randazzo. You hear him does a great job on the pre and post for the Mets. Also, when he's doing the play-by-play, a fun listen uh, as well. I mean, we tried to get into as much as you can with the Mets right there. I guess familiar coming back, that would be shocking to me, having him coming back in August. And the Cabrera stuff right there from Wayne was interesting, too. That uh, yeah, I mean, you could read between the lines and know that's why they didn't want to bring up Rosario earlier. But I figured at this point, if Cabrera wants to be on this team moving forward and he wants them to pick up uh, the option, he's going to have to play second or third base. It's simple as that. And you want to be a positive influence instead of a negative, which it seems he has been. All right, back to your calls on the other side. 800 3210 710 800 3210 710 Do a little 
of what's worse before we say goodbye as well. Maybe some Jets and Knicks and some Marlins news with Derek Jeter and his bid for ownership. That's all ahead on the Sports Zone, the Voice of New York, 710 WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone. In for Pete, here's Sal Licata. 800 Let's get to your calls right now. Brian is in South River. Brian, you're on the Voice of New York 710 WOR. What's on your mind, Brian? Brian, are you there? Okay, Brian is not there, so I guess uh, nothing on his mind uh, at this point. Uh, what we wanted to do is get into um, you know the Yankee, uh, the Derek Jeter news, as we said before. Um, we were teasing it. Might as well do it here now that uh, that Brian is not with us. Well, anyway, Derek Jeter uh, apparently struggling to uh, with his bid for the Marlins as the billionaire backs out of Jeter's group bid. Um, and this was no surprise. And I don't know how to say this guy's name, but the Chicago billionaire uh, that was recently uh, involved with this stuff has left Jeter's group, potentially leaving Jeter um, out of maybe the ownership uh, for the Marlins, where I guess they wanted Major League Baseball wanted the decision on this pretty soon. Jeter um, doesn't have, I guess, the money that he would need, clearly, which is why he's got to go in with everybody else, but apparently wants more say than they want to give him, right? If you don't have enough money, you can't have all the say. And that's basically the gist of it here. I would like to see Jeter involved in the ownership um, in Major League Baseball. I think it'd be good for the sport. It'd be good for the Marlins. Plus, I'd like to see what he could do. Uh, Marlins owner Jeffrey Loria had, uh, you know, we know he's losing, the Marlins are losing money, so he put them up for sale. Uh, rare that you get an opportunity to buy a big league club, and Jeter's always talked about wanting to do it, so he had to get the right uh, investors together. It sounded like it was going to be close a couple of months ago, um, but, you know, it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case anymore. You knew that there was a falling out there uh, once it didn't go through uh, a few months ago when it was reported to be close, but... Nonetheless, the latest report here, this is from the Post, uh, right? This is from the Post that you sent me, you gave me the story, Producer Mark. Um, So Jeter trying to still remain involved here, but not sure if uh, he's going to be able to come up with the rest of that money to be able to uh, make a bid for the Marlins. So that's the news uh, as far as that goes. We had talked about also the Jets and the Knicks stuff. Well, the Knicks, you have to like what they're doing this offseason, and really what they're doing is nothing, and I think that that's good. They should just strip it down. And, you know, I would look to trade Carmelo Anthony. I think they're still looking to do that. Now, I know the last report was that Boston may be looking to move Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, maybe Avery Bradley, and maybe the Knicks would inquire about Marcus Smart, which I think would be a great move. Problem is, number one, you don't know what you'd have to give to be able to get Marcus Smart, although I know the Celtics want to clear some money. But the bigger problem than that is, sounds like they already worked on a sign-in trade with Utah for Gordon Hayward to be able to have Hayward sign with Utah, then trade him to the Celtics for Jay Crowder. And maybe something else along that deal. And if that's the case, then maybe the Celtics wouldn't have to, in fact, trade Marcus Smart uh, to clear some of that money. So it would be smart for the Knicks to get involved with Smart. Uh, No pun intended there. It just happened. Uh, Or no use of the same word intended there. It just happened. Uh, But it's maybe not realistic. And that's fine. I don't care who they sign at this point. Sign a veteran point guard that's not Rajon Rondo or Derrick Rose. Anyone that's left. I would even take Brandon Jennings. I'm fine with that. They just need a point guard to chew up some minutes. Now, you'd hope it'd be a guy who could be a little bit of a leader. I like Brandon Jennings and his makeup. I like it here in New York. It didn't work last year, but maybe that had more to do with the system and Phil Jackson. Um, But Jennings is out there, free agent last I checked. They they need a point guard who can play in front of Neil Aquina and hope to develop him. And then ultimately, you just want to build around Porzingis. 
right? Develop some younger role players and have another high pick next year and go out there and have another quality draft pick. That's the disadvantage the Nets are in. Now, the Nets had that big offer to Otto Porter Jr., who I think is a great player. I love the offer. You pair him with D'Angelo Russell. Finally, you have something there with Brooklyn. Not saying they're going to be a playoff team uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but at least there's some structure within the organization. Right? They have Sean Marks making the calls. They have Atkinson as the head coach. You like that combo. They trade for a young stud point guard, potential stud point guard, in D'Angelo Russell, who's you know has great potential. Again, top pick a couple years ago. And then you maybe go out there and add Otto Porter to that mix. And you're starting to build a little bit something. The only problem with the Nets is that they don't have any picks to add to it, which is going to set them back several years. That's where the Knicks are at an advantage as they look to build around Neil Aquina and certainly Kristaps Porzingis will be the focal point of this year's team. The biggest question mark with the Knicks, aside from actually hiring a president slash GM here, um, the biggest question mark is going to be what they do with Carmelo Anthony because I just don't see a scenario where you could have Melo back on this team. I think it's a toxic uh, environment. So that takes care of the Knicks stuff. We told you about the Jeter bid for the Marlins. We have what's worse coming up next. Also have some Jet stuff and the tanking for Sam Darnold. Is that a good idea? Plenty more to do before we say goodbye within the next half hour on the Sports Zone. Salakata in for Pete McCarthy, 800-321-0710. The number to call, the voice of New York, 710-WOR. This is the WOR Sports Zone. Filling in for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. 800-321-0710, the number to call on the Sports Zone. Mets will resume play tomorrow. Coverage begins right here on OR, 6.05 p.m. Mets take on the Redbirds, three in St. Louis, before they take their four-day break for the first half of the season. Yeah, no, it's not the official first half of the season, but uh, take their four-day break at the All-Star break, rejuvenate, uh, relax, have a little bit of a respite, and then come back refreshed, ready to go. We will not be refreshed. For the second half of the season. Well, we have four days for you next, uh, four shows for you next week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, of the off days will be here for you. And then Pete resumes uh, on Friday when the Mets return to play. All right, let's do, uh, we welcome in producer Mark right now. We uh, Let's do some what's worse. All righty. W-O-R Sports Zone. For God's sakes, don't make it any worse. What's worse? So, Sal, your new favorite family in the NBA is the Ball family, right? Oh, my goodness. I uh, can't stand it. I don't know if you saw this story, but uh, it. Unfortunately, this is inevitable. LeVar Ball and his family will star in a reality series produced by Facebook yeah. per Deadline.com. And that's going to be like one of those Facebook Live kind of things. They haven't really announced how they're going to do it. This is after they announced their $450 shoes in red, white, and blue. Each. So a red pair, a white pair, and a blue pair this past weekend. And how much are they? Four hundred dollars oh, $495 oh, each. Okay. So that's very reasonable. And uh, LeVar Ball was on the WWE show. I believe that was on Raw. Yeah. Tore off his shirt, challenged The Miz. Saw that. Is that, that a wrestler? Was, that was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. You're a wrestler guy. I'm not. Yeah. And uh, Lonzo and LaMelo Ball were sitting nearby. That his I other, saw. His other uh, son is Leangelo. they really, really not very creative with the names. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I think we've all had enough of uh, LeVar Ball. I mean, I'm hoping... Obviously not if Facebook's putting a reality show out yeah, there. Yeah, I don't know who would watch. I mean, I guess the ratings uh, go up when this guy's on TV <sighs> for whatever reason. I, I, could not, I would not watch a second of it. I don't care about Le- LeVar Ball. As a matter of fact... I would watch his son play in the NBA because I want to see him get burnt uh, and dunked on. Like I'm with Joel Embiid, and they got into a little bit of a beef on Twitter, I see, know, last week. I've I got nothing him. against Lonzo. This isn't his fault. Yeah, but you could take it out on him. 
It is his fault. He doesn't shut his dad up. Yeah, but you can't shut your dad up. Yes, you can. If your dad was acting like this, he called into the radio and said that he hated you or he wanted to up you up or whatever, you're going to tell him to shut up? Uh, I, I think that this is a unique scenario to where LeVar Ball can tell his dad, Dad, back off. Oh, excuse me, Lonzo Ball could tell yeah. his dad to back off and just be quiet a little bit. I understand what you're saying you got to be respectful of your parent, but when, you're, when your parent's a jerk See, and craving attention, that's where I'd have an issue. I with. just don't want to take it out on the kid. I mean, the kid's a talented basketball player. Well, then tell his dad to shut up. Because I agree. I, I think that everybody's... Did you see the tweet from Joel Embiid? I did. Okay. I mean, they want... They I want agree. To, and he's not going to be alone. They want to embarrass uh, Alonzo Bull. Now, Listen. the question is going to be whether they're going to be able to do that or not. Alonzo's certainly yeah. a talented kid, but I hate the fact that he got what he wanted going into Los Angeles. That's what he wanted to do. I hate the fact that now he has a reality show, that the guy's being shoved down your throat. Every media outlet possible is having LeVar Ball on. He's a clown. He's an embarrassment. He's a joke. I can't say anything about LeVar Ball. I agree with you, but the, you just said something, that he got what he wanted going to L.A. You remember a certain Giants quarterback not wanting to go to San Diego? Yeah. Same well, thing. I no, mean, not, not as same thing. ridiculous as LeVar, but no, I am, I am, he well, whined his way out of San Diego. Players do that, and I don't like when they do it. I mean, I don't. I agree, but Eli did it too, and everyone reveres Eli Manning. They forgot about it. It would be bad enough if it was. You know, look, maybe this is the genius of Lonzo Ball making his dad be the bad guy, right? Everybody hates That's him, true. and they don't hate Lonzo for any decisions that he he's making. But clearly, he'd rather be there with the Lakers. Uh, I mean, and then go elsewhere. Where would you rather go? L.A. or who had the first pick this year? Well, Boston had it, and uh, then they traded, traded out of it. it. So, I mean, or the Sixers, right? I mean, that's who. I guess that wasn't that bad of a decision. No, mm. but he wanted to be in L.A. Well, good for them. I hope he causes a ton of problems. I hope nobody buys their shoes. Here's what I can't stand, producer Mark. I can't stand people that think that they are better than somebody else. And oh, yeah. LeVar Ball clearly thinks he's better than everybody else. And everybody's, oh, it's so funny. Look at, LeVar, look at LeVar Ball. He's got these shoes at the baller brand. And they give him the microphone. I would shut him up. I would never give him the time of day. It's I would all never ESPN's fault. If you said to me, Sal, you'll have LeVar Ball on, and your show will be the number one rated sports talk show in New York City, I would tell you, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I'll do it on my own. I don't need LeVar Ball to do that. That's how my, I, and other people are desperate for, oh, please, our rating's going to go up a point? Oh, let's put LeVar Ball on, <laughs> and then we'll talk about it. Oh, please. Yeah, the ratings are going oh, to be great. Let's get LeVar Ball. I don't want him. I don't need LeVar Ball. It's as simple as that. I think it's pathetic. I think it's cheap. I think the whole thing about him stinks. I can't stand him or his family. How about that? Well, he's not going away anytime soon, Sal. Okay. I'm sorry. Anyway, what else you got? The other what's worse is, and this is a doozy, so Twitter can be a fun place. Somebody was at a Braves game recently and tweeted, really disappointed with this sign at the new Braves stadium Definitely not, in all caps, okay, at Braves. Now, what was the sign? Yeah. You know the uh, strikeout meter? Sure. So the pitcher, whoever was pitching that day, had three strikeouts. So it said KKK. Right. So well, she right. thought that was offensive. Well, that's a thing that's been hanging uh, at stadiums yeah. for years. No, she I, didn't I, know that. I saw this story in my good buddy's uh, column at Sports Illustrated, my buddy Jimmy Trena with Trena Thoughts. And I started to read that. I can't even believe it. I mean, yeah. now this dope on social media who posted that – who was offended by it, uh, also had, uh, I think, another racist post on her Twitter thing I a while ago. So. so she's trying to say that everybody's racist at baseball games who post the, the Ks after a strikeout up there, but yet she had racist comments to say on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, see, here's what I want to know. How does that girl even get her tweets noticed? 
Who's buying into this? Somebody thing? saw it. Yeah, but and what do you mean? Goes, somebody saw it. That's how tweets go viral. Somebody sees it, and another person sees it, and right. people retweet right. it. Right. Stupid yeah. people. Stupid exactly. people see that. They well, they give that moron credit, and then they say to, oh, you know what? Look at what this this girl just said, and then they retweet it, and then somebody else retweets it. I don't think they're really giving her credit. I who think cares? they're just pointing out how stupid she is. Right, but who cares what she says? Why would mm. anybody care? But She's Sal. doing it for attention, and then she gets the attention. Sal, this yeah. isn't the only person who's made that mistake this year. Hey, how come it says KKK? That's oh, that's the number of strikeouts. Oh, well, Gilbert Godfrey yes. having some fun no, with No, he had never been to a baseball game before in his life. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, he's got to be joking about that, right? I, I don't think so. I think he knew what he was oh, doing. Oh, my goodness. That but happened. he was legitimately. Uh, that's embarrassing. Yeah. But, I mean. That still. was uh, Gilbert with Howie and Josh a couple of, uh, about a month ago. Um, so you're asking me what's, what's worse. You're asking me what's worse. I guess probably the girl who, you know, tried to belittle or, or make uh, baseball fans seem racist because they hang the Ks at the, uh, at the ballpark. That's got to be worse. I think at first it was ignorance with her, and then it just became stupidity. Because she played it off. Yeah, to try to she say, played oh, it off like, oh, how okay? this is so racist. No, it's it's not. I can't believe that this has come this far that I don't even know where the, what was happening in Atlanta, obviously, that we're talking about it in New York on my radio show. The idea that I have to talk about this. That's how and I get why you bring it up. You're right. It did go yeah. viral. But like, think about that. Some idiot decides to tweet something stupid to get attention and then it buys in and then boom, it goes viral. Here we are in New York talking about it. LeVar Ball is one thing because if people are going to watch it. Uh, good for Facebook. They want to sign ball. Now I won't be watching it. You couldn't pay me to watch it. You couldn't pay no. me any amount of money. I, I, I'd rather be. I'd rather be unemployed than be paid to watch that show. Okay, and that's the truth. I wouldn't watch the show for for. I don't care what amount of money you come up with. I'm not watching it. But maybe other people do watch it. Good for Facebook. They think it's going to be ratings. That's fine. As much as I hate it, it's okay. What the girl did here. It's just stupid to me. The whole thing is foolish. Yeah, I agree. That's much worse. Yeah. I and then agree it started a whole racist argument, and just stop it. All right? It's just, I mean, come on. Like, there's not enough issues in today's society that you got to bring that up. The K-Zone and K's being hung at ball games have been going back for, I mean, as long as I can remember. Since baseball began, when you start, started scoring baseball, a K is a strikeout. Right. Well, hanging them at stadiums, I don't know when that took know when over, that began, but it had but, to be, yeah. I mean, it had to be before I was but born. But I'm sure somebody has written in a scorecard KKK before for three strikeouts. Oh, you can't do that. Yeah. Right. It's, it's PC now. You can't, you can't do that. That's racist. Anyway, I mean, it's horrible. All right, producer Mark, good job. Thank Thanks you, for the what's worse. Uh, yeah, and now I feel shameful that I even had to talk about LeVar Ball and, and all that nonsense. I did have the LeVar Ball thing in my notes. The Facebook show, and I was going to rip it. So glad you got to it uh, there, Mark, uh, as well. We'll do the All-Star Game stuff in a little bit, the final vote, and what I think of that. Also, the Jets tanking for Sam Darnold and why that may not be a good idea. Like I told you weeks, if not months ago, 800-321-0710. Also, if you want to finish up by talking about the Mets or the Knicks, whatever it is that's on your mind, uh, before we say goodbye at 9 o'clock on the Sports Zone. 800-321-0710, the voice of New York, 710-WOR. Now. More of the WOR Sports Zone. And for Pete McCarthy, here's Sal Licata. Couple of NBA free agent signings. A check Twitter. Adrian uh, Wojnarowski, who, of course, is on top of everything now for ESPN, tweeting out that free agent uh, forward Rudy Gay has agreed to a two year deal with the Spurs. So. Spurs uh, get the services of uh, Rudy Gay. Looks like two years, seventeen million, seventeen million plus, uh, seventeen million plus with a player option. Um, is the Spurs trying to change their look a little bit? Who knows what other moves they have coming? Vince Carter still getting deals. Vince Carter signs a one-year deal with eight, uh, for eight million dollars with the Sacramento Kings. So 
Uh, amazing how Vince Carter is still around. He's still going. You know, one thing, too, about the free agency in basketball, and then you look at it with the NHL, the, the stark difference in salaries. I mean, it, it is just Kelly Olnick is signed a deal with the Heat, as we told you earlier. Leaves Boston, goes to Miami. I think it was a four-year deal. He gets $12.5 million a year. Connor David, the NHL scoring champ, one of the bright young stars in the game, gets $12.5 million a year. What did I say? You said Connor David? Connor Mc... Oh, I thought I said Connor McDavid. Well, anyway, I know it's Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid uh, makes $12.5 million a year. How is Connor McDavid making $12.5 million a year, who's one of the best players in the game? And by the way, Sidney Crosby is only making $8.7 million a year. Kelly Olnick making twelve and a half a year. So I know that the NBA is different with resources and all, and all things like that and revenue. But when you see it laid out like that, it's just ridiculous. McDavid worth much more than that. And good for the Oilers locking him up long term. But it's just the best player in the game gets the same as a role player uh, in another game is weird to see. Uh, we touched on it before with Mike Moustakis, Justin Turner winning the final votes in their respective leagues. Of course, Mike Moustakis goes to the American League uh, All-Star game after being voted in Justin Turner. Goes to the National League team after being voted in on the final vote. He will join uh, Daniel Murphy as those two get to be teammates once again. Who would who would have thought that years ago Daniel Murphy and Justin Turner would once again be teammates on the All-Star game, on the All-Star team? The National League All-Star team, Daniel Murphy and Justin Turner. As if the season hasn't gone bad enough for the New York Mets, you have to deal with that. Uh, it does sound, though, like it sounded certainly when we had Wayne Randazzo on and certain reports that you read Matt's going to reunite with Bartolo. That could come uh, down, I guess, as early as tomorrow. Don't know if that's going to happen for a fact, but we do uh, hear that it's uh, likely to happen, a reunion between the Mets and Bartolo, which I think will be at least a fun thing for the fans to have moving forward. Love going out to City Field or just love watching him or listening to him. Uh, his at-bats, uh, every game that he's out there, you always saw something fun, so you hope that maybe he could uh, revive uh, what uh, or refine what he had a year ago, really the last couple of years with the Mets. As he was terrific, struggled in Atlanta, got the money from the Braves, now maybe come to uh, back to New York and succeed here with the Mets. I'd have to believe other teams are interested, though. They, I don't know who. There are reports saying other teams are interested, but I would think that there's legit interest. How much of that, I don't know. Uh, but either way, we'll see how that plays out tomorrow with uh, Bartolo Colon. As for the All-Star Game stuff, as I was talking about before, I, I just don't, I don't know, maybe it's part of baseball trying to market they're young stars better. I find it very annoying. Final votes, uh, begging people to, it's been, it's been going on for years. Remember David Wright and Sandoval uh, a few years back, and this is going back years ago now, but I just find it annoying. Oh, vote DD, vote Moose. Oh, come on, please. You got to beg people to vote. That's not the spirit of the game. I don't like that. I'd rather have just, just have the fans vote. If you're going to do that, fine. They vote for the starters. Have the players vote for everybody else. Why do you have to have a final, final vote for one guy? It's, you have to think about it. They're not necessarily an all-star. That's what bothers me about the whole thing. I get it. Major League Baseball wants to you know, have fun campaigning and all this. I always found it uh, very annoying. Producer Mark, you have something to add? Didi Gregorius was out today at random subway stations swiping people in to get them to vote for him. Yeah, and I'm sure they – look, I bet you the players feel embarrassed by this too. Now, Didi seemed to be having fun in that video that I watched. Uh, as you mentioned, Mark, he was, uh, as you mentioned, producer Mark, DD was swiping guys through these turnstiles at the uh, subway station. I'm not sure where it was. I'm assuming up by Yankee Stadium um, to, to get some more votes. And by the way, the Yankees have enough guys. They don't need DD to go. But anyway, just the whole thing to me comes across. It's not, it's not the point of the game. All right, it's fun. Maybe I'm taking it too seriously. Who cares? It's an all-star game. I just think it's a little much with the over-the-top uh, 
vote for me for the All-Star game or vote for Moose, vote for Didi, whatever it may be. As for the Jets, we'll finish up the show talking about them. I've been trying to tell you for a while, the Jets aren't tanking, okay? You could think that they're tanking, but I could make an argument that if they signed Fitzpatrick and re-signed Darrell Rivas, then they would have been tanking the season. That's not the case. They're getting rid of old, expensive, unproductive players. So they're trying to develop some young, competitive you know, players on that roster here. They're building something toward the future. They're going to try to go out there and win games. You can't tell me that these young guys are going to play as hard as they can and try to win some games. So the Jets are not tanking, nor should they be. The latest story coming from, uh, I don't know where it came from, but out of USC, I guess, with Sam Darnold, their quarterback there, maybe thinking about not entering the NFL draft after this season uh, with USC. Now, who knows what's going to happen? It's July 6th. I mean, a hard time uh, deciding whether a guy's going to come out of college or not now. But it just plays to the point you never know. Let's just say he is coming out. Does that mean he's going to be a great player? Does that mean he's guaranteed to change the franchise? No. So the idea of tanking in sports is one of the stupidest things, as far as I'm concerned, you could ever do. Oh, they should just stink, lose as many games as possible. It's not in the spirit of the sport. It's not in the guys that you hired to go out there and do your job, whether it's the front office, whether it's the coaches, or whether it's certainly the players out there on the field trying to compete for their livelihood, competing for wins each and every week, especially the young guys. The younger guys who have something to play for for themselves, big contracts moving forward to prove themselves at the NFL level. Those guys are going to be much more competitive than, say, Darrell Rivas, who gave up on plays last year. Or at least it looked like it. And he wasn't the only one. If you happen to win five, six games, whatever it may be, with that talent, fine. But they're not trying to lose games on purpose. They're not going to win three football games next year. I guarantee you they win more than they did a year ago. And that's the right thing to do. Win as many games as you can during the season. Let the chips fall where they may in the offseason. That's how good teams do it. You don't tank on purpose. It's stupid. It doesn't guarantee anything. I hate that idea. And I'm glad that that story came out about Sam Darnold. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, great job, producer Mark Wiener. Thank you for that. Good job on the board, John. We appreciate your help uh, as well. We'll be back with you next week. Four shows for you during the All-Star break. Enjoy Pete tomorrow as the Mets resume play. 6.05 right here. Take it on the Cardinals for the weekend series before the All-Star break. And then we'll resume play after that on Friday.